Is all well? All is well, Boris Ivanovich. I do not think anyone followed me from the embassy. I changed taxis at the Place de la Concorde and in Saint-Germain-des-Prés. I came the last part of the way on foot. There are two men on the pavement opposite. I was so sorry. They were here before you came. But they are watching this house. Possibly. But if that is the case... What of it? Even if they know it will not be you they follow from here. That is true. I suppose the American can take care of himself. If he's half the man he's supposed to be, he ought to be able to cope with creatures like those two. There's something else. What? Twice this evening a man has passed along this street. A man with white hair. He didn't speak to them, but I'm sure... They're working for him? Something of the kind. You're sure the package is safe? It has not been tampered with. There has been much talk. Far too much talk. It is safe. What are you doing? Getting the package. From the fireplace. An ingenious hiding place. It was covered up with coal and scraps of kindling. They have searched the apartment twice. They even ripped open the mattress. But no one thought to look here. Did you open the package? No. But you know what it contains? I have some idea. Perhaps it is as well. There are women who would go mad over such things. I do not share that madness. But they are very beautiful. The rubies of Catherine the Great. And in the center of the necklace, the heart of fire. Men have died for that stone. And most of its owners have come to violent ends. Did you know? I have heard something of the sort. It formed part of the crown jewels of the Romanovs and was found sewn into the dress of one of the daughters of the Tsar after her execution at Ekaterinburg. And now, who will be the next victim of the heart of fire? Do your people at the embassy know what you're doing? You are being well paid to keep your mouth shut. Ask no questions. The American... What is the time? A quarter to midnight. Then it is him. Go and let him in. There has been too much talk. It was a mistake to haggle so long over the price. In here, monsieur. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Thank you. Mr. Krasny. I am he. I must apologize for the unconventionality of the rendezvous. I've been in stranger places. You have the money? In I notes? have the money. The package is there on the table. Thank you. Could you uh, switch that lamp on, mademoiselle? Yes, monsieur. You need have no fears as to their authenticity. In matters of this kind, I trust no one, Monsieur Krasny. But I can see that they are the genuine article. Here's your money. You will permit me to count them. Of course. But I do have the reputation of being scrupulously honest in all my business things. All right? Thank you, Monsieur. Everything is correct. Then I'll bid you good night. Monsieur Krasny? Mademoiselle? Monsieur? I wonder if he will ever get back to his hotel. Yeah, I wonder. The men are no longer there. But surely a man with so much money would never be so stupid. And talking of money... You will get your share. Come here, quickly. What is it? The man with white hair. He's going down the street now. 
I suspect that our American has run into a little difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> There's a man come to see you, Father. He would not give his name. What kind of man? His face is covered by a velvet mask. Then show him in at once, my dear, and leave us alone. Yes, Father. Come in, Monsieur. Good night, Monsieur Lamarquis. And never fear, there will be no hitch in my arrangements. Zia, you can come back now. <laughs> Well, Zia, what did you hear? It is annoying that one cannot see through a keyhole and hear through one at the same time. What did he want? To tell me that the attempt on the American had failed. The American who was going to buy the heart to fire. It was foolish even to consider it. The direct attack rarely succeeds. <laughs> but what is that to a man like the Marquis? The men he hires to do his dirty work for him are expendable. What will he do now, do you think? He has another plan. He would not confide the details to me, but he is certain that it will not fail. And knowing him as I do, he is probably right. What did you think of him? I think his long white hair is probably a wig. Ah, anything else? I think it is a very rare thing to find a well-connected Englishman who speaks French so impeccably. An Englishman? So that is what you think. Ah, Two posts this morning, Miss Gray. You are popular. Thank you. <laughs> Looks like it's going to keep sunny. Yes, doesn't it? Oh, Goodbye. Good morning. Bye. Oh, good morning, Dr. Good morning, Miss Gray. Oh, Dr. Harrison, good morning. Yeah, I see you've got some posts. Good news, I hope. I hope so. My dear Miss Gray, my husband and I wish to express our thanks to you for your services to my poor cousin Emma. Her death has been a great blow to us. Though we were, of course, aware that her mind had been failing for some time past. I understand that her latter testamentary dispositions have been of a most peculiar character. Good Lord. And they would not, of course, hold good in any court of law. I see. We shall be pleased to recommend you most highly for a similar post and hope that you will accept a small present. It's monstrous. Mm -hmm. It's much what we expected. Oh, won't you come in? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Old Emma Garfield's intellect was as good as yours or mine. Her cousins wouldn't have a leg to stand on if they took it to court, and they know it. Don't get fancying. It's your duty to hand over the cash or any tomfoolery of conscientious scruples. I'm afraid it hasn't occurred to me to have scruples. The Attleboroughs were distant relations of Mrs. Garfield's husband, and they never came near her or took any notice of her in her lifetime. You've had a hard life of it here in St. Mary Mead these last ten years. You are fully entitled to enjoy the old lady's savings, such as they were. Such as they were, Doctor. You'd better take a look at this. It came by first post. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Good Lord! Hmm? It's just not possible. She was one of the original shareholders in Mortal. Oh. Forty years ago, she must have had an income of eight or ten thousand a year. And she has never, I'm sure, spent more than four hundred. She was always terribly careful about money. And all the time, the income has accumulated at compound interest. Oh. My dear, you, 
You're going to be a very wealthy woman. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, you mustn't worry yourself about that woman's odious letter. I shan't. But there's nothing odious about it. Under the circumstances, I think it's quite a natural thing to do. I have the gravest suspicion of you sometimes. <laughs> really? Why? The things you find perfectly natural. <laughs> <laughs> have you given any thought as to uh, what you're going to do? Hmm? No, but I think I want to travel. I've never seen much of the world, you know. Ah, I shouldn't think I have. It must have been an awful life for you, cooped up here all this time. Oh, I don't know. It gave me a lot of freedom. I should have thought it was the last thing it would have given you. Oh, I don't mean in the physical sense, no. no. No, I've always had a feeling of mental freedom. But all the same, I feel I want to change. I want to be in the midst of exciting things. Even if I'm only a looker-on, things don't happen in Mary Mead. They certainly don't. I shall go to London first. Mm -hmm. I have to go to the solicitors anyway. I shall stay at a first-class hotel. I've always fancied the Savoy. <laughs> I shall get some really good clothes, oh. and then I shall go abroad. I think you're being very wise. Yes, mind you. Don't know what the village will do without you. Your room is 504, Miss Gray. I'll get a porter to take your luggage. Thank you. Ah, pleased to see you back again, Mr. Van Alden. Everything all right? Yes, sir. Major Knighton is upstairs in your suite now. Thank you. Well, there they are, Knighton. What do you think? I can't believe it. Are they real? Real? You see that ruby in the center? It's the largest in the world. The heart of fire. It's perfect. Not a flaw in it. It must be worth a fortune. And you've been carrying the rubies round in your pocket. The safest way to carry them. Mind you, I did have a bit of trouble just after I got hold of them. Two guys set on me on a street corner. Somebody must have given them a tip-off. Luckily, I had my pistol ready. There weren't any trouble. Now, I know why your daughter sounded so concerned when she telephoned. Ruthie? She doesn't know anything about them. They're meant to be a surprise. Why did she ring? She said she had to see you urgently, that was all. She wanted to know when you'd be back. Then I'd better get over to Curzon Street straight away. Uh, order a cab for me, would you, Knighton? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, what do I say to Colton's people if they ring? They've been trying to get in touch with you. Tell them to go to hell. Very well, I will. Dad! When did you get back? <laughs> a couple of hours ago. Oh, Ruthie, it's mm. good to see you. Knighton said you wanted to see me, so I came straight over. I've been telephoning him all day to try to get hold of you, but he couldn't say for sure when you were expected back. He did his best to be helpful. Yeah, he's a good man. I don't know what I'd do without him now. Mm. Where did you find him? Well, he, uh, I met him purely by chance in Lausanne. He was... When did I meet him? Oh, a couple of months ago, I suppose. Uh, he, he'd been in the army, and he was an officer. He was he was wounded. He, he still got a bit of a limp, as a matter of fact. He was looking for something to do. And, oh, you should have seen his face when I offered him a job as my secretary. <laughs> but uh, what was it you wanted to see me about, Ruthie? What's the trouble? It's Derek. Oh. What about him now? I've scarcely seen him these last months. Not that that's anything unusual. But now, I've found out that he's been seen going around with another woman. What woman? Do you know? It seems that everybody knows. Mirelle. Mirelle? The dancer? He goes about everywhere with her. Good God. 
I was down at Leckenbury last week. I spoke to Lord Leckenbury. He was awfully sweet to me, sympathised entirely. He said he'd give Derek a good talking to. Yeah, I can guess what that will achieve. Precisely nothing. The old boy's got one foot in the grave already, and anything he says isn't going to cut much ice with Derek. Can't you do anything, Dad? Well, I might. Several things I might do, but there's only one that'll do any real good. Cut your losses and start afresh. You mean I should divorce him? He's no good, Ruth. You know that. Mind you, I, I blame myself for ever letting you marry him, but you were kind of set on getting an English title, and he seemed in earnest about turning over a new leaf, and, well, I'd crossed you before. Yes, you did. Well, I guess I was too soft-hearted to do it a second time. I can't tell you how I wish I had, though. Derek Kettering only married you for your money, Ruth. That's all there is to it. Get rid of him. Well, suppose he doesn't consent. You mean he'll fight the case? Any solicitor will tell you he hasn't a chance. You don't think... I mean, out of sheer spite against me, he might, well, try to make it awkward. But he'd have to have something to go on. Yeah. I suppose he would. There's something worrying you, isn't there? What is it? Nothing. Nothing at all. Is it the publicity? Now, look, you leave it all to me. I'll put the whole thing through so smoothly there'll be no fuss at all. Very well, Dad. If you really think it's the best thing to be done. I certainly do. Now, let's forget all about it. I've bought you a present from Paris. Just take a look at this. You like them, Ruthie? I've never seen anything like them. How did you get hold of them? That's my secret. They had to be bought privately, of course. Uh, they're they're uh, quite famous in their way. That big stone in the middle is called the Heart of Fire. Heart of Fire? Yep. Men have killed for that stone, Ruthie. It has a terrible history, but... Somehow in your hand it seems to lose all its evil. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> They're fabulous. Oh, I'm glad you like them, Ruthie. Oh. You're all I have, you know. Oh, Dad. You will stay to dinner. No, 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 I've got a good deal to attend to. I'll see you tomorrow after I've had a word with the solicitors. Very well. Oh, I suppose this business won't keep me from going to the Riviera. Riviera? When are you off? The 14th. Ah, that'll be fine. These things take a long time to mature. But uh, I wouldn't take those rubies abroad with you if I were you. Leave them at the bank. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> we don't want to have you robbed and murdered for the heart of fire, do we? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kettering is here, Mr. Van Alden. Is he now? Then, uh... Ask him to come in, will you, Knighton? And I don't want to be disturbed. Very well. Come in, Mr. Kettering. Good morning, sir. You're very anxious to see me, I gather. Sit down. Not seen you for a long time. <clears throat> about, um... Two years, I should say. Look, I'm not going to beat about the bush. I've advised Ruth to file a petition for divorce. That sounds rather drastic. You don't mind if I smoke? Go right ahead. Thank you. 
And uh, what does Ruth say? She proposes to take my advice. Does she really? Is that all you've got to say? I think you know that she's uh, she's making a great mistake. From your point of view, she doubtless is. Oh, come now, don't let's be personal. I really wasn't thinking of myself at the moment. I was thinking of Ruth. Oh, yes. You know, my poor old governor can't possibly last much longer. All the doctors say so. Ruth had better give it a couple more years. Then I shall be Lord Leckenbury, and she can be Chatelaine of Leckenbury. Which is what she married me for. I'm serious, young man. Oh, so am I. I'm in very low water financially, and it will put me in a nasty hole if Ruth divorces me. And after all, if she stood it for ten years, why not stand it a little longer? It's a pity Ruth shouldn't get what she married me for. You didn't speak so cynically ten years ago. Perhaps not. Ruth was very beautiful, you know. Oh, I had fine ideas. Turning over a new leaf. Settling down and living up to the highest traditions of English home life with a beautiful wife who loved me. But you don't believe that, I suppose. I have no doubt that you married Ruth for her money. And that she married me for love. Certainly. I believed that at the time. You've always been known as a hard man. But Ruth is far harder than you are. You at any rate love one person better than yourself. Ruth never has and never will. Now that's enough. I asked you here so I could tell you what I intend to do. My daughter has got to have some happiness, and remember this, I'm behind her. And exactly what do you mean by that? I mean that you had better not try to defend the case. Is that a threat? You can take it any way you please. And supposing, uh, just for argument's sake, that I did defend the case? You haven't a leg to stand on. Your conduct's been the talk of London. Ah. Ruth has been kicking up a row over Mirelle, I suppose. <sighs> Very foolish of her. I don't interfere with her friends. What do you mean? Yeah, well, I see you don't know everything. <clears throat> you are perhaps naturally prejudiced. Oh, giving advice is not much in my line. But in this case, I should advise perfect frankness between father and daughter. Oh! oh. oh. I'm so sorry. I wasn't looking where I was going. I was dreaming. It was uh, my fault entirely. Good day. What did he mean, Ruth, about perfect frankness between father and daughter? I don't know, Dad. How should I? Of course you know. He said something else about he having his friends and not interfering with yours. What did he mean by that? I don't know what he meant. I have lots of friends. You do know, Ruth. I'll put it to you plainer. Who is the man? What man? The man! That's what Derek was driving at. Oh, come on, Ruthie, you can tell me. Why, even that time in Paris, don't you remember... What? Of course, that's who it is. Ruth, have you been seeing that scoundrel again? Uh, you mean the Comte de la Roche? The Comte de la Roche. I told you at the time he was just a common swindler. He'd entangled you pretty deeply, but I got you out of his clutch. Yes, you did. And I married Derek Kettering. It was what you wanted. Oh, if that's what you want to think. And now you've been seeing Delaroche again. He's been here today, hasn't he? How do you know? I saw him as I was walking up the street. But I just couldn't place him for a moment. And after all, I told I you... I want to tell you one thing, Dad. 
You are very wrong about Armand. Oh, so it's Armand now, is it? Oh, I know there were several regrettable incidents in his youth. He has told me about them. But he still cares for me very deeply. It broke his heart when you forced us to part in Paris. And I'll do the same again if I have to. Oh, Dad! That a daughter of mine could be such a fool. The man's nothing but a cheap little crook. All he wants is your money. Just fancy that. Just fancy what, Mother? Catherine Gray being left a fortune. It's in the mail. Look. Well, so what? Cheese-pairing old women are always dying in villages and leaving fortunes to their humble companions. But this humble companion happens to be my very own cousin, one of the Worcestershire Greys, the Edgeworth lot. I see. And I was wondering... What there was in it for us. Lennox. I was merely thinking it would be very nice if I wrote to dear Catherine, suggested she should come out to the Riviera. Naturally, she's quite out of touch with society. Naturally. It'd be nicer for her to be launched by one of her own people. How much do you think you could get her to cough up? Yes, we should have to come to some financial arrangement, of course. Oh, it was one thing and another, ever since your poor dear father died. And ever since you married Chubby. He's an expensive luxury, if you like. Darling, you have such a coarse way of putting things. I shall write to dear Catherine at once and remind her of the dear old days at Edgeworth. Oh, Mother. Yeah, and uh, that concludes all the formalities, I think, Miss Gray. Uh, Mrs. Garfield was very precise in her instructions. Thank you, Mr. Scattergood. And uh, what do you advise me to do about the letter from Mrs. Attleborough? Oh, I should simply forget all about it. These people have no claim of any kind upon the estate and no court would uphold them. Mm, I thought as much. But just the same, I should like a certain sum to go to these people. Yes, but Miss they were Mrs. Garfield's only relatives, and it seems to me unfair that they should be cut off with nothing. Very well, if that is what you wish, I will see to it. But you would do well to be on your guard, Miss Gray. News of an unexpected fortune spreads fast, and the world is full of sponges. <laughs> You've no need to warn me of that, Mr. Scattergood. Yes. Only yesterday I had a letter from a long-forgotten cousin inviting me out to her villa on the Riviera. Uh, yes, I'm sure that you will treat that with the contempt it deserves. On the contrary, I am going to accept. Huh? She wants to see what she can get out of me, and I want to spend a few weeks in the Mediterranean villa in smart society. Well. There'll be profit on both sides. It will bring a little colour into my life. It's, uh, it's no good talking of black pearls to me, Mirel. At the present moment, as far as I'm concerned, the fat is well and truly in the fire. Oh, what has happened? My esteemed father-in-law is arranging for Ruth to divorce me. Oh, how stupid. Why should she want to divorce you? <laughs> Mainly because of you, my darling. Oh, that is foolish. Very foolish. What are you going to do? My dear girl, what can I do? On the one side, the man with unlimited money. On the other, the man with unlimited debts. There is no question as to who will come out on top. Ah, they are extraordinary, these Americans. It is not as though your wife were fond of you. So, what are we going to do about it? The creditors will come down on me like wolves on the fold. We are not going to do anything about it. I am very fond of you, mon ami. You are very charming. But it just isn't practical. You're a rich man's luxury. Is that what you mean? Oh, if you like to put it that way. I am fond of you, Derek, but I am not made to be poor. 
It is quite simple. Mm -hmm. You must make it up with your wife. <laughs> I'm afraid that's not going to be actually in the sphere of practical politics. I don't understand. Van Alden has fixed his mind on a divorce for his daughter, and a divorce is what she's going to get. I have heard of him. A few days ago in Paris, he bought the most wonderful ruby in the world, the Art of Fire. Mm. The ruby of Catherine the Great should not belong to a stupid little creature like your wife. It should belong to me. On my neck, a jewel like the Art of Fire would find its true setting. This uh, wife of yours, she is his only child? Yes. Then when he dies, she will inherit all his money. She will be a rich woman. She is a rich woman already. He settled a couple of millions on her at her marriage. Oh, but that is a fortune. And if she were suddenly to die, would all that money come to you? As things stand at present, it would. As far as I know, she's not made a will. Oh, if she were to die, what a solution that would be. <laughs> I adore your simple, practical mind, Mirelle. But I think the chances are pretty slim. My wife is an extremely healthy person. But, my darling, there are such things as accidents. And you know that ruby, the art of fire, is supposed to carry an ancient curse. What if the curse were to fall upon your wife? I am not superstitious. But such things do happen. Good morning, sir. What can I do for you? I want a ticket for Nice. Uh, for what date, sir? Mm, the 14th. I want to travel on the blue train. Well, that may not be so easy, sir. The blue train is always booked up well in advance. See if there is a berth left. Yes, madam. Can I help you? I want to go to Nice on the 14th. Nice, yes, madam. Which is the best train? Well, of course, there is the blue train, the train blue. Uh, you avoid the customs business at Calais and you don't have to change at Paris. Uh, the carriage goes straight through, but I don't know whether they still have a berth. I'm just checking for this gentleman. So we meet again. Oh. You're the lady I nearly knocked down in the Savoy. Oh, I don't think it was as serious as all that. There are three berths left. Excellent. Uh, shall I book a berth for you, madam? Uh, oh, oh, yes, yes, of course. The name is Gray, Catherine Gray. What name, sir? Uh, put it down the name of my man, Paffert. I'll send him round to collect them. Uh, good day. There's a gentleman called to see you, Mr. Kettering. Major Knighton. Knighton? What the devil can he want? Oh, very well, Pavitt. Show him in. Oh, and take this cheque round to Cook's in Piccadilly. They'll have some tickets booked for me in your name. Very good, sir. Major Knighton, sir. Uh, come along in, Knighton. Very good of you to look me up. Drink? No, thank you. Well, uh, uh, take a seat. Oh, uh, thank you. And uh, what does my esteemed father-in-law want with me now? You have come on his business, I take it. I have, yes. I only wish you could have chosen someone else. Is it as bad as that? I'm quite thick-skinned, I can assure you. Well, the matter is simply this. As you know, your wife, uh, Mrs. Kettering, is about to file a petition for divorce. If the case goes undefended, you will receive £100,000 on the day that the decree is made absolute. In the event of your refusing this proposition, Mr. Van Alden wished me to tell you in plain words that he proposes to break you. Supposing I were to tell you that for 200,000 I would do what he wanted, what then? 
I would take your message back to Mr. Van Alden. Is that your answer? No. Uh, funnily enough, it is not. You can go back to my father-in-law and tell him to take himself and his bribes to hell. Is that clear? Oh, perfectly. Will you allow me to say, Mr. Kettering, that I am glad you have answered as you have? Hmm. A good day, Major Knighton. Goodbye. And that is that. Rose! Rose! Dad! <laughs> I didn't expect to see you here. <laughs> Gave you quite a surprise, eh? <sighs> Come on, I'll walk you to the train. Uh, I just came to take a last look at you, since I'm not going to see you for some time. Oh, it isn't really very long, and you are coming out next month. Yeah, that's so. You'd better be getting on board this train of yours. Uh, do you know where your seat is? Well, Mason was going to find it for Mrs. me. Mrs. Kittery! Uh. Oh, Mrs. Kittery! There she is. Are you coming in? Just for a minute. Uh, put your dressing case under your seat, Mrs. Kittering, in case you should need it. Shall I take the rugs, or will you require me? No. No, I shan't need you. Thank you, Mason. You'd better go and find your own seat now. Yes, madam. Oh, uh, by the way, I thought you might like a few magazines to read on the journey. Thank you, Dad. Oh, I'll put them on the table here, shall I? They won't be in your way, will they, madam? Of course not. Uh-oh. I'd better be clearing out of here. Bye-bye, Ruthie. <laughs> Goodbye, Dad. And don't you worry about the other business. I'll attend to everything. Have a good time. Dad! Yeah, what is it? Oh, nothing. Till next month. Bye. No, no, I'm perfectly all right. Just a speck of dust in my eye, that's all. One place for luncheon? If you'll be so kind as to share a table with this lady. Of course. Oh, this is quite a coincidence. It is odd the way things happen. To begin with, soup, madame. Coffee, madame. Thank you. Oh, it will be a relief to get into the sunshine. I'm sure it will be a wonderful feeling. And you, madame? Thank you. Do you know the Riviera well? No, this is my first visit. Fancy that. You go away every year, I expect. Practically. January and February in London are horrible. I wouldn't know. I have always lived in the country. They're not very inspiring months there either. Mostly mud. <laughs> Cigarette? No, thanks. You don't mind if I smoke? No, not at all. What made you suddenly decide to travel? Money. <laughs> For years I have been a paid companion with just enough money of my own to buy myself strong country shoes. <laughs> now I have been left what seems to me to be a fortune. Though I dare say it would not seem so much to you. Now I wonder why you said that. <laughs> I really don't know. 
I suppose one forms impressions without thinking of it. I wish you would tell me what other impressions you have formed about me. But I scarcely... Oh, please, don't be so conventional. I want to know. You were so concerned about me when we left Victoria. What were you thinking? I will tell you if you like. But you must not think me impertinent. I thought that you were in great distress of mind. And you were right. I am in terrible trouble. I... Uh, I should like to tell you something about it, if I may. I've always been told I'm a sympathetic listener. Please tell me. But not here. Come to my compartment. Here we are. Do come in. Thank you. Oh, Mason, I want to talk to this lady in private. You won't mind if I close the door between us? Of course not, madam. Please, sit down. Oh. I am in trouble, and I don't know what to do. There is a man I am fond of, very fond indeed. We cared for each other when we were young, and we were thrust apart most brutally and unjustly. Now we have come together again. I see. I am going to meet him now. I dare say you will think it is all wrong, but you don't know the circumstances. My husband is impossible. He has treated me disgracefully. Yes. <sighs> well, what I feel so badly about is this. I have deceived my father. You saw him at Victoria today. He wishes me to divorce my husband, and of course he has no idea that I'm going to meet this other man. He would think it extraordinarily foolish. Well, don't you think it is? I don't know. I really don't know. Ever since we left Victoria, I have had a horrible feeling of something. Something that is coming to me very soon. Something that I can't escape. <laughs> Oh, you must think that I am mad talking to you like this. But I tell you, I know something terrible is going to happen. Oh. You must try to pull yourself together. You could send your father a wire when the train gets to Paris, and he would come to you at once. Yes, I could do that. It is queer, but I never knew until today how terribly fond of Dad I am. Oh, I have been very foolish. Thank you so much for letting me talk to you. I'm quite all right now. I suppose I just needed someone to talk to. I can't think why I've been making such an absolute fool of myself. I'm glad you feel better. Oh, I must be going back to my own compartment now. Perhaps we shall meet at dinner. Yes, perhaps we shall. Dinner, madame. This way, please. I was looking for the lady whose table I shared at lunchtime. Oh, she is dining in her compartment, madame. A dinner basket was ordered at the Garde de Lyon. Oh, thank you. If you would be so good as to share the table of this gentleman. Yes, of course. Uh, good evening, madame. Good evening. 
I see that you have taken the precaution of bringing a detective story with you. I was not certain whether I should be dining alone. Mm, and you wish to guard against boredom. <laughs> you are fond of such things? They amuse me. Oh, they have a good sale always, so I am told. Now, why, why, why do you think that should be, Mademoiselle? I ask you as a student of human nature. Perhaps they give one the impression of leading an exciting life. Ah, yes, there is something in that. Of course, one knows that such things don't really happen. Oh, sometimes they do, Mademoiselle, sometimes. They have, after all, happened to me. Really? And someday they may even happen to you. It is all chance. I don't think it is likely. Nothing of that kind ever happens to me. But would you like to? Oh. <laughs> it is my fancy, perhaps, but I think that you have a yearning in you for interesting happenings. <laughs> and all through my life I observed one thing. What one wants, one gets. Who knows? You may get more than you bargain for. <laughs> <laughs> I can't escape. Oh. Something terrible is going to happen. Ah! Oh. A horrible dream. I must get some fresh air. gone to sleep. There's no one. No. There is someone. It's the man I saw at the Savoy. The man who was buying the ticket for the blue train in Cook's. And he's going into the compartment of the American lady. Miss Gray? Uh, it is Miss Gray, is it not? Yes, I am Miss Gray. Oh, welcome to Nice. I'm Chubby. Uh, Chubby Evans, Lady Tamplin's husband. I expect she mentioned me, but perhaps she forgot. Now then, have you got your billet de bagage? I lost mine when I came out this year, and you would not believe the fuss they made about it. Regular French red tape, what? <laughs> moment, mademoiselle, if you please. Yes, what is it? I regret, mademoiselle, but I must ask you to accompany me. There are certain police formalities that need to be completed. There? What did I tell you? It will not take a moment, mademoiselle, if you will come this way. Oh, well, I uh, suppose you'll have to go. Uh, my car's outside the station. I'll be waiting for you there. Where are we going? To this carriage here, mademoiselle. But that's one of the coaches from the blue train, surely. What is this all about? This way, mademoiselle. Pray be seated, mademoiselle. I am 
Monsieur Coe, commissaire of police. I don't understand what is going on. Do you wish to see my passport? What I really desire, mademoiselle, is a little information. Information? Hmm. About a lady who has been a fellow passenger of yours. You lunched with her yesterday. The American lady? She was a complete stranger to me. I had never seen her before. And yet you returned to a compartment with her after lunch and sat talking for some time. You can perhaps give me some kind of idea of that conversation? I could, but at the moment I see no reason to do so. Mademoiselle, the reason is very simple. The lady in question was found dead in her compartments this morning. Dead? What happened? Did she have a heart attack? No. No, mademoiselle. She was murdered. Murdered? So you see, mademoiselle, why we are anxious for any information we can possibly get. I see. But couldn't her maid be... The maid has disappeared. Oh. I don't really see what use I can be. I don't even know her name. Her name is... Catering. That we know from her passport and from the labels on her luggage. If we could only... Excuse me, Monsieur le Commissaire, but there is a gentleman asking to speak with you. He gave me this card. I cannot be disturbed now. Tell him... Hercule Poirot. Ask the gentleman to come in, please. Certainly, Monsieur le Commissaire. Come in, Monsieur. Monsieur Poirot? The same... I remember meeting you, Monsieur Coe, at the Sûreté in Paris. Though, doubtless, you have forgotten me. Not at all, Monsieur, not at all. <laughs> you have um, heard of our little incident? Uh, I have heard. I come to see if I might be of any assistance. You should be flattered, Monsieur. Let me present you, Monsieur Poirot, to Mademoiselle Grey. <laughs> I have already had the honor. Yes. I have been explaining to the commissaire that this poor lady was a complete stranger to me. But she talked to you, did she not? You formed an impression, is it not so? Yes, I suppose I did. And that impression was... Yes, mademoiselle, let us by all means have your impressions. She was an American, very wealthy, I think. She... she told me she was in terrible trouble. Mm-hmm. There was a man whom she had loved when she was young, from whom she had been parted by her father. She... Go on, mademoiselle. She said that her husband had treated her disgracefully and that her father wanted her to divorce him. But she was going to meet this other man. Without her father's knowledge? She said that he would think it extraordinarily foolish. She became quite hysterical. She said she knew something terrible was going to happen. And so it did. I tried to persuade her to send her father a wire from Paris to come and fetch her. I don't think it did any good. She didn't... She didn't kill herself. No. It is not possible, mademoiselle. She was strangled with a length of black cord. It is not nice, no. But you have great courage, mademoiselle. And that is why I'm going to ask you to do something more. Something distressing, but I assure you, very necessary. What is it? 
I am going to ask you, mademoiselle, to be so good as to accompany me to her compartment. Must I? Someone must identify her. And since the maid has disappeared, you seem to be the person who has seen most of her since she joined the train. Very well. If it is necessary. Mademoiselle is sensible. May I accompany you, Monsieur Cole? Enchanté, my dear Monsieur Poirot. Enchanté. This will not be very pleasant, Mademoiselle. Her face has been very badly disfigured. Oh, no. Mm. When was that done, I wonder? Before death or after? The doctor says after. Very strange. You must be brave, mademoiselle, and study her closely. Are you sure that this is the woman you talked to yesterday? I am quite sure. The face, she's been too battered for me to recognize her. But the build and the hair are exact. And besides, there, this little mole on her wrist. I noticed it yesterday while she was talking to me. Ah, you are an excellent witness, mademoiselle. There is then no question of the identity, but it is strange all the same. Perhaps in a fit of rage. Mm. If she had been struck down, it would have been comprehensible, but the man who strangled her slipped up behind, caught her unawares. A little choke, a little gurgle, that is all that would be heard. And then afterwards, that smashing blow to the face. Now, why? Did he hope that if the face were unrecognizable, she might not be identified? Or did he hate her so much that he could not resist striking that blow even after she was dead? Oh, it's horrible. She was convinced that something terrible was going to happen to her. Now, you must not let me distress you, mademoiselle. To you all, this is very new and terrible. To me, alas, it is an old story. Mademoiselle, I must ask you to look around the compartment very carefully. I want to know if you see anything changed, anything missing. It's hard to tell. Her fur coat's still where it was. Her hat box, her suitcase... Yes. There is something missing. Hmm? A scarlet Morocco case. It had the initials RVK on it. It might have been a small dressing case or a big jewel case. When I saw it last, the maid was holding it. Ah, is that so? But surely... I... <laughs> of course, I don't know anything about such things, but surely it is plain enough if the maid... And the jewel case are missing. You mean that it was the maid who was the thief? No, mademoiselle. There is a very good reason against that. What is it? The maid was left behind in Paris. I would like you to hear the conductor's story yourself, Monsieur Poirot. It is very interesting. Uh, mademoiselle would doubtless like to hear it also. You do not object, Monsieur le Commissaire? Uh, no, no, no. Certainly, Poirot, if you say so. Uh. You have uh, finished in here? I think so. Ah, no, wait a moment. On this rug. What is it? What have you found? Four auburn hairs. Ah, yes, they are from the end of Madame. And what of it? Do you attach importance to them? No, oh, 
Falls on a rug, what is important, what is not, one cannot say at this stage, but we must note each little fact carefully. Let us go and hear the conductor's evidence. It was after we had left the Gare de Lyon. I came along to make the beds, thinking that Madame would be at dinner, but she had a dinner basket in her compartment. She said to me that she had been obliged to leave her maid behind in Paris, so that I need make up only one berth. She took her dinner basket into the adjoining compartment and, and sat there while I made up the bed. Then she told me that she did not wish to be wakened early in the morning, that she liked to sleep on. I told her I quite understood. She wished me good night. You, you yourself did not go into the adjoining compartment? No, monsieur. Then you did not happen to notice if a scarlet Morocco case was among the baggage there? No, monsieur, I did not. Would it have been possible for a man to have been concealed in the adjoining compartment? The door was half open. If a man had stood behind that door, I should not have been able to see him. But, of course, he would have been perfectly visible to Madame when she went in there. Uh, quite, quite so. Is there anything else you have to tell us? I can't remember anything else. And this morning? As Madame had ordered, I did not disturb her. It was not until just before Cannes that I ventured to knock at the door. Getting no reply, I opened it. The lady appeared to be asleep. I took her by the shoulder and tried to rouse her, and, and then I... Yeah, yes, yes, thank you, Monsieur Michel. I, I think I know all that I want to know. Uh, very good, Monsieur. Thank you again, Monsieur. Now, where does that get us, hmm? According to the medical evidence, the lady was probably dead before the train reached Lyon. Who then was the murderer? From Mademoiselle Gray's story, it seems clear that somewhere on her journey she was to meet this man of whom she spoke. Her action in getting rid of the maid seems significant. Did the man join the train at Paris, and did she conceal him in the adjoining compartment? If so, did they quarrel? And did he kill her in a fit of rage? Oh, it is a possibility, I suppose. Mm. And uh, you, Mademoiselle... You heard and saw nothing during the night? Nothing, no. No. I think that we need not detain Mademoiselle any longer. But we shall need your address, Mademoiselle. I am staying with Lady Templin at the Villa Marguerite. She is my cousin. Thank you, Mademoiselle. I will escort you to your friend's car. I trust he is still there. I, uh... That you will permit me to see you again, mademoiselle. Or have you so many friends that your time will be all taken up? Oh, on the contrary, I shall have plenty of leisure, mm. and I shall be very pleased to see you again, Monsieur Poirot. Ah, excellent. This shall be our own detective story. We will investigate this affair together. <laughs> I say, uh, Ah, there's your friend, patiently waiting. Au revoir, mademoiselle. Au revoir, monsieur. But how terribly exciting, Catherine, my dear. We plunged right into the thick of it all the moment you arrived. You're so lucky. Well, I hadn't the foggiest what was going on. I mean, collared by the police the moment she stepped off the train. I didn't know what to think. Little thinking isn't really your forty, is it, chubby darling? But my dear Catherine, what an opportunity. I think, you know, one might be able to make something out of all this. I don't understand. What do you mean? 
A little account of it all, you know, cleverly written up. How I chatted with the murdered woman, last person to see her alive sort of thing. Oh, what rot. Lennox, you have no idea, Catherine, my dear, what the newspapers will pay for a little titbit. Written, of course, by someone of unimpeachable social position. I would much prefer to do nothing of the kind. Really striking young woman, I think you said. Wonder now who she would have been. You didn't hear her name. It was mentioned, but I can't remember it. But that's scarcely surprising. Well, I should think so. It must have been a beastly shock. Yes, it was. Would you like to go up and see your room, Catherine? You could do with the rest, I fancy. Thank you. That's very kind. Come along then. Thank you. I wasn't quite sure how much. Hmm. Nice thing, isn't she? Have you noticed those grey eyes, Hot? Never <laughs> mind her eyes, Chubby. We're discussing things that really matter. Oh, uh, yes, quite. She mm. doesn't seem to me to be very uh, malleable. What's that? Oh, never mind. At least I don't think she'll turn out to be mean. You mustn't mind, Mother. She'd make a few pennies profit out of her dying grandmother if she could. I don't mind her in the least. It was just rather unexpected, that's all. Why did you come? To us, I mean. We're not your sort. Oh, oh I am anxious to get into society. <laughs> Don't be an ass. I like you. You're frankly sincere and upright and all those queer things, but you're not a fool. Lennox! Lennox! Oh, hell. What does she want now? What is it? Lennox Dalek has just rung up. He wants to come to dinner tonight. Will it be all right? I mean, we haven't got anything awkward, like quails, have we? No, Mother, it'll be all right. Such a relief. I'm glad Derek's coming. At least he'll keep Mother in order. You'll like him. Who is Derek? He's Lord Leckenbury's son. He married some frightfully rich American woman. Women are simply potty about him. Why? Oh, the usual reasons. Very good-looking. And a regular bad lot. Oh. Everyone goes off their heads about him. Do you? Sometimes I do. And sometimes I think I'd like to marry a nice curate and live in the country and grow things in frames. An Irish curate would be best and then I could hunt. <laughs> I can't think of anything I'd like less. There's something odd about Derek. All that family are a bit potty. Mad gamblers, you know. In the old days, they used to gamble away their wives and their estates and did most reckless things for the love of it. Derek would have made a perfect highwayman, dashing and debonair. Oh, Lord, how I do go on. Come down when you feel like it. Catherine, you look enchanting. Another fantastic dress. Thank you. Uh, you don't mind me calling you Catherine, do you? Rosalie says you're her proper cousin. I so don't I... mind in the least. Oh, good. Now, do you play tennis? Uh, not really. You see, I've scarcely uh, had time. She said you wouldn't. She said companions wind wool and wash dogs most of the day. Oh, <laughs> Catherine, here's Derek. Derek, this is Catherine Gray. She's mother's cousin, but don't let that put you off. We have met before. I knew I was going to meet you again soon, but I never dreamt that it would be here. It, it, it had to be, you know. Once at the Savoy and once at Cook's. Never twice without three times. But this is not the third time. It is the fourth. I saw you on the blue train. On the blue train? What was the rumpus this morning? Somebody died, hadn't they? Yes. 
Somebody had died. You shouldn't die on a train. I believe it causes all sorts of legal and international complications. And it gives the train an excuse for being even later than usual. Mr. Kettering. Ah, Mr. Kettering. This note was sent here for you. Thank you. Oh, this is most extraordinary. Uh, I say, Lennox, I'm afraid I shall have to leave. No. The prefect of police wants to see me at once. I can't think what about. Your sins have found you out. They must have. It had better be pretty serious if it's going to make me miss dinner. Where's Rosalie? On the terrace, I think. I'll go and make my apologies. Good night. Good night. Kettering. Yes, Derek Kettering. What's the matter? That was the name of the woman on the train. The woman who was murdered? Yes. And I saw him going into her compartment <laughs> in the middle of the night. Derek? Did you tell the police? No, I didn't. Until this moment, I didn't know whether it was just part of my dream. But now, I'm sure. You must have been mistaken, Knighton. It's just not possible. I assure you, sir, there's no mistake. You saw Ruth's maid in Paris last night. Not just saw. I actually spoke to her. Well, tell me exactly what happened. I had fixed up the deal with Bartheimers, and I'd gone back to the Ritz to pick up my traps before having dinner and catching the nine o'clock train from the Gare du Nord. Yeah. At the reception desk, I saw a woman whom I was quite sure was Mrs. Kettering's maid. I went up to her and asked if Mrs. Kettering was staying there. Naturally. And she told you that Ruth had gone on to the Riviera and had sent her to the Ritz to await further orders. Exactly that, sir. Mm, very odd, very odd indeed. And unless the woman had been impertinent or something of the kind, she, she didn't give any reason for this change of plan. Well, she said, sir, that Mrs. Kettering had met a friend unexpectedly. Is that so? Man or woman? I think she said a man, sir. There's one thing no man can do, and that is to get a woman to listen to reason. And not one in ten of them knows a scoundrel when she meets one. Come in! Telegram for Mr. Van Alden. Thank you. Here we are, sir. Thank you. Oh, my God. What's the matter, sir? Ruth. Mrs. Kettering? Dead. An accident to the train? No, they don't use the word, Knighton, but I think my poor girl's been murdered. My God. This is from the police and me, sir. I, I must get out there by the next train. Uh, there's a five o'clock from Victoria. Right. You, you, you'll come with me, Knighton. See to everything here. Of course. I, I want to get round to Curzon Street. Oh. Hello, Mr. Van Alden, sweet. Uh, Mr. Gobi's in reception, sir. Gobi? The agent you set to tail Derek Kettering. Oh, oh yes. Tell him to come on up. Uh, will you please tell uh, No, no. Wait a minute. Let me speak to him. I'm, um... I'm pressed for time, Gobi. Uh, you got anything important to tell me? The movements of Mr. Kettering, sir. You wish them to be reported to you. Well? Uh, Mr. Kettering, sir, left London for the Riviera yesterday morning. What? Which train did he go on? The blue train, sir. Mademoiselle Mirel, the dancer, was on the same train. My name is Carrège. I have been appointed juge d'instruction on this case, Monsieur Van Alden. 
may I express my deepest sympathy? Thank you. Uh, may I present to you Monsieur Hercule Poirot, whom I have asked to be present. Monsieur. Uh, you yes. have doubtless heard of him. He retired as chief of the Belgian force some years ago, but his name is still a household word as one of the greatest living detectives. Oh, well, <laughs> pleased to meet you, Monsieur Poirot. Well, I happened myself to be travelling on the blue train, which is why I came to be involved in this investigation. I uh, propose to begin by interviewing the maid, Ada Misson. Uh, she is here with you, Mr. Van Oden, I understand? Yes, we picked her up as we were coming through Paris. Uh, we will have her in then. Ah, uh, do come in, mademoiselle. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, please, uh, be seated. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, your name is Ada Misson, is that right? Ada Beatrice, sir. Now, uh, mademoiselle, let us talk this affair over. There was, I understand, no question of your leaving the train in Paris uh, when you started from London? Oh, no, sir. I was to go straight through to Nice with madame. Hmm. Uh, have you ever been abroad with your mistress before? Uh, no, sir. I'd only been with her two months, you see. Did you perceive anything uh, unusual about her on the journey? Was she quite as usual? Oh, she, she, she seemed rather worried and a bit upset, and she was rather difficult to please. I see. Now then, uh, what was the first you heard of your stopping in Paris? Well, it, it was at the place they call the Garde de Lyon, sir. Yes. My mistress said she was going to get out and walk up and down the platform. She was just going out into the corridor when she gave a, a sudden exclamation and came back into the compartment with, with a gentleman. She? she she shut the door between her compartment and mine so that I didn't see or hear anything till she suddenly opened it again and told me she had changed her plans. She gave me some money and told me to get off and go to the Ritz Hotel. I was to wait there until I heard from her. She would wire me what she wanted me to do. Hmm. While Mrs. Kettering was telling you all this, uh, where was the gentleman? Oh, he was standing in the other compartment, sir, looking out of the window. Uh, would you describe him to us? Well, you see, sir, I hardly saw him. Ah. He had his back to me most of the time. Hmm. He was a tall gentleman and, and, and dark... That's all I can say with certainty. Mm. He was dressed very like any other gentleman in a in a dark blue overcoat and a grey hat. Mm. Was he one of the passengers on the train? Oh, I, I don't think so, sir. I took it that he'd come to the station to see Mrs. Kettering in passing through. Mm. Very well. And now then, uh, your mistress later requested the conductor not to rouse her early in the morning. Was... Uh, was that a likely thing for her to do, do you think? Oh, yes, sir. The mistress never took breakfast, and she didn't sleep well at nights, so that she liked sleeping on in the morning. Now, uh, amongst the luggage, there was a scarlet Morocco case, was there not? Uh, Mrs. Kettering's jewel case? Yes, sir. Did you take that case to the Ritz? Of course not, sir. Where should I do a thing like that? You left it behind in the carriage with your mistress? Yes, sir. Uh, had your mistress much jewellery with her, do you know? Oh, a, a fair amount, sir. Ah. Why, they told me the rubies alone were worth several hundred thousand pounds. Which rubies? 
Well, I, I think it was you that gave them to her, Mr. Van Alden. Not very long ago. My God. She must have been mad to take them with her. I told her to deposit them at the bank. What on earth could have been? Uh, for the do? moment, Mademoiselle Messon, I think that is all. Oh, very well, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I think you should see this, Monsieur Van Alden. It was found in the handbag of Madame Catherine. Oh, thank you. Cher ami, I will obey you. I will be prudent, discreet, all those things a lover most hates. Paris would perhaps have been unwise, but the Ile d'Or are far away from the world, and you may be assured that nothing will be discovered. <laughs> It's like you and your divine sympathy to be interested in the work on famous jewels that I'm writing. It will indeed be an extraordinary privilege to see and to handle these legendary rubies you're ever adoring, Armand. They are to fire, so that is what it is all about. It seems the heart of fire has claimed yet another victim. <coughs> yes. Perhaps you will... Tell us in your own words, Monsieur Van Orden, all that you know of this gentleman. Certainly. Well, it, it began 11 or 12 years ago in Paris. My, my daughter was a young girl then, full of foolish, romantic notions, you know, like all girls are. Well, unknown to me, she made the acquaintance of this Comte de la Roche. Frankly, I doubt whether he has any right to that title. No, you would look in vain for his name in the Almanac de Gautin. Mm, you're quite right. The Comte de la Roche is well known to us. But he is cunning. His affairs are always conducted with ladies of high social position. If he obtains money from them under false pretenses, naturally they will not prosecute. Yeah, that's so. I can tell you I broke the affair up pretty sharply. I told Ruth exactly what he was, and she had no choice but to believe me. But only a week ago I discovered to my amazement that my daughter had resumed her acquaintance with this Comte de la Roche. Yeah. She had been meeting him frequently in London and Paris. I told her she was being very foolish, for on my advice she was planning to bring a suit for divorce against her husband. Really, this is very interesting. I pointed out to her the gravity of continuing to see the Comte under the circumstances. I thought she'd agreed with me. Yes, but according to that letter, Monsieur Van Houten... I know, you don't have to tell me. How oh, Ruth could be such a fool. All this talk about writing a book on jewels... He must have been after the rubies from the word go. Um, monsieur, there was a rumor recently that the Heart of Fire ruby had passed into the hands of wealthy American. Are we right in concluding that Monsieur was the purchaser? Mm, yes, Monsieur Poirot. They came into my possession in Paris about ten days ago. Ah, uh, then pardon me, Monsieur, but have you been negotiating for their purchase for some time? Well, a little over two months. Uh, why? Well, these things have a way of becoming known. Now, Monsieur Van Orden, let mm. us start to put our facts in order. According to our present theory, this is how they run. The Comte de la Roche knows of your purchase of the rubies. Because of his past attachment to your daughter, it is an easy matter to induce her to bring the stones with her. He, then, is the man Mason saw in the train in Paris. That would seem to be in accordance with what we know. Ah, well, madame is surprised to see him at the Gare de Lyon, but he deals with the situation promptly. Mason is got out of the way, and a dinner basket is ordered. So, no one knows of his presence on the train except madame. They are alone, and the train rushes through the night. 
there would be no outcry, no struggle for the man. Is she thinks a lover? Uh, death, monsieur, must have been almost instantaneous. We will pass over that quickly. The Comte takes the jewel case, and shortly afterwards, the train draws into Lyon. Precisely, Monsieur Poirot. It would have been easy for Delaroche to leave the train unseen at Lyon no. and catch a train back to Paris or anywhere he pleases. The crime would be put down as an ordinary train robbery. Mm. But for the letter found in Madame Kettering's bag, the Comte would not have been mentioned. Yes, it is strange that he should have left it. Without doubt, he thought she had destroyed the letter. It was a... Pardon me, Monsieur Vernoden, but it was an indiscretion only a woman in love would commit. Yeah, but how was it that, knowing women as she does, Delaroche did not see that Madame would have kept that letter? Oh, yes, there is something in what you say, but at such times you understand a man is not master of himself. If he did indeed commit the crime. Hmm? If? You say if? Yes, monsieur, I say if. You are right. We go too fast. It is possible that the Comte may have an alibi. Then we should look foolish. Oh, the alibi it is of no importance whatsoever. Naturally, if he committed the crime, he would have an alibi. A man with the Comte's experience does not neglect to take precautions. No. I said if, for a very definite reason. And what was that? The psychology. What do you mean by that? Well, the psychology is wrong. The Comte is a scoundrel, yes. The Comte preys upon women, yes. He proposes to steal the heart of fire again, yes. But is he the kind of man to commit murder? I think not. A man like the Comte is always a coward. He takes no risks. He plays the safe, what the English call the low-down game, but murder, no. no. But the day always comes when such gentry lose their heads and go too far. No, no, no. I am satisfied in my own mind that the Comte is the man we need to get hold of. It will be difficult to lay hands on him, I'm afraid, but we will do our best. Oh, uh, you will uh, find him at the Villa Marina in Antibes. <laughs> you teach us all our business, Monsieur Poirot. <laughs> no, no, it is my hobby to know things. And what is your view, Monsieur Van Orden? Hmm? Oh. Are you certain that the Comte de la Roche is the murderer? Well, everything points to him, but does my son-in-law know about Ruth's death? He, he is a niece, I understand. Yes, monsieur. You are doubtless aware that Monsieur Kettering was also one of the passengers on the blue train that night. Yes, a fact I discovered just before I left London. Monsieur Kettering has told us he had no idea his wife was traveling on the train. <laughs> I bet he hadn't. He'd have had a nasty shock if he'd run into her. How do you mean, monsieur? If you want some measure of what my poor child has had to put up with, you'd better know that Kettering wasn't alone. He had a lady with him. A lady? Mirelle, the dancer. Mirelle? Oh! Well, one of one had rumors. The lady is very notorious. And also very expensive. <laughs> this is no laughing matter. That decadent aristocrat who married my daughter is nothing better than a damned scoundrel. No, permit me to ask, Monsieur Van Orden, but... Does Monsieur Kettering benefit by the death of his wife? <laughs> to the tune of a couple of million. Dollars? Pounds. Pounds? Huh? I settled that sum on Ruth absolutely on her marriage. She made no will and leaves no children, so the money will go to her husband. Who she was on the point of divorcing. Are you implying that I husband... am implying nothing. I arrange the facts. That is all. 
I do not think I can be of any further service to you, Monsieur Le Juge. You will keep me informed of the course of events? Oh, but certainly, most certainly. I take it you don't want me anymore at present? Uh, no, monsieur. We have all the information we need for the moment. Thank you, then. Uh, I'll walk a little way with Monsieur Perrault, that is, if he uh, does not object. I should be enchanted, Monsieur Valorle. I take it, Monsieur Poirot, that you no longer exercise your profession? Ah, that is so, Monsieur. I enjoy the world. And will you continue to assist the police in this affair? Monsieur, if a doctor is walking along the street and an accident happens under his nose, does he say, I have retired from my profession, I will continue my walk when there is someone bleeding to death at his feet? You were on the spot. Uh, you examined the compartment, did you not? I did, yes. Doubtless you found things that were, uh, shall we say, uh, suggestive to you? Perhaps. I hope you see what I'm leading up to. It seems to me that the case against the Comte de la Roche is perfectly clear, but I'm not a fool. I've been watching you for this last hour or so, and I realize that for some reason of your own... You don't agree with that theory? Oh, I may be wrong. I'm a very rich man, Monsieur Poirot. It is usually said that a rich man labors under the belief that he can buy everything and everyone. That's not true. But I'm a big man in my way, and one big man can ask a favor from another big man. Ah, that, that is very well said, Monsieur Valorie. Then, Monsieur Poirot, will you act for me in this affair? Hmm? For you, personally? That was my meaning. I want to see Ruth's killer on the gallows. I want action, and I want it fast. But you realize what you are asking? I guess I do. Hmm. Very well, then. Uh, I accept. But if I am going to act for you, Monsieur Van Alden, I must have frank answers to all my questions. Naturally, that is understood. Hmm. Now, this little matter of the divorce. It was you who advised your daughter to bring the action, eh? Yes. And when does Mr. Kettering get news of what is in the wind? I sent for him myself and explained the course of action I proposed to take. And what did he say? He was damned impudent. Now, excuse the question, monsieur, but did he refer to the Comte de la Roche? Not by name, but he showed he was aware of what was going on. Mm. What... If I may ask, was Monsieur Kettering's financial position at the time? He was flat broke. <laughs> and now he has inherited two million pounds. Mm -hmm. Ah, life it is a strange thing, is it not? But surely Monsieur Kettering did not propose to allow himself to be divorced without making a fight for it. I don't exactly know what his intentions were. Mm. And did you hold any further communications with him? No. Oh. It is no use. I must wish you good day, monsieur. I can do nothing for you. What are you getting at? If you do not tell me the truth, I can do nothing. I don't know what you mean. I think you do. No, you may rest assured, monsieur, and all in that I know how to be discreet. Very well, then, monsieur Poirot. I'll admit that I wasn't speaking the truth just now. I... I did have further communications with my son-in-law. Yes. 
I sent my secretary, Major Knighton, to see him with instructions to offer him the sum of £100,000 in cash if the divorce went through undefended. Hmm? A pretty sum of money. And what was the answer of Monsieur Sanilor? He told me to go to hell. Ah. Now then, Monsieur Kettering has told the police that he neither saw nor talked to his wife on the journey from England. Are you inclined to believe that statement, Monsieur? Yes, I am. He would take particular care to keep out of her way, I should say. Why? Because he had that woman with him. Mirel. Who else? But how did you come to know that? I had set a man of mine to watch Kettering. He told me they both left by that train. I see. Hmm, there is something in all this that does not quite fit in. It needs a little thought. I, I will communicate with you at your hotel, Monsieur Van Alden. some experience of the English upper classes, have you not? Uh, yes, sir. I was in the service of the late Lord Frampton for several years. Mm. Uh, shall I uh, put out the dark grey suit, sir? Oh, there is a grease spot on the waistcoat. A morceau of filet de sole a la Jeannette lighted there when I was lunching at the Ritz last Tuesday. Uh, there is no spot there now, sir. I have removed Ah, très bien, Georges. I should have known you would have seen to it. Uh, supposing, my good George, that you had been born in the same social sphere as your late master, Lord Edward Frampton. No, 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 no. Suppose yourself a penniless aristocrat who had married an extremely wealthy wife and you discovered that your wife proposed, for excellent reasons, to divorce you. What would you do about it? I should endeavor, sir, to make her change her mind. Ah, by peaceable or by forcible methods? You must excuse me, Monsieur Poirot, but a gentleman would never resort to forcible means in a situation like that. Ah, but a costermonger would use force. <laughs> that is very interesting, Georges. For Monsieur Poirot. Hmm? I will see that he gets it. A note, sir, from Inspector Coe. Well, what does he say? We are about to interview the Comte de la Roche. Ah. The juge d'instruction begs that you will be present. Ah, then quickly, Georges, give me my unspotted suit. Well, gentlemen, I am here... May I ask why you wish to see me? Pray be seated, Monsieur le Comte. It is the affair of Madame Kettering that we are investigating. The affair of Madame Kettering? What do you mean by that? You are acquainted with the lady, I believe, Monsieur le Comte? Certainly I'm acquainted with her. Is that a criminal offence? Uh, perhaps you do not know, Monsieur le Comte, that Madame Kettering has been murdered. Murdered? 
No, I did not know. But it's terrible. And Madame Kettering was strangled on the train bleu and her jewels were stolen. In uh, Madame's handbag, we found a letter to her from you. She had, it seems, arranged to meet you. <laughs> Why should I lie to you? We are all men of the world. Uh, you were to meet her in Paris and travel down with her, I believe. That was the original arrangement, but by Madame's wish it was changed. I was to meet her at Hier. You did not... Meet her on the Tremble at the Gadelion on the evening of the 14th. Yeah, on the contrary, I arrived at Nice on the morning of that day, so what you suggest is impossible. Oh, quite so, quite so. Perhaps you could give us an account of your movements during the evening and night of the 14th. I dined in Monte Carlo at the Café de Paris. Afterwards, I went along to the sporting. I won a few thousand francs. I returned home at... Perhaps one o'clock. Your servant admitted you on your return to the villa? I let myself in with my own latchkey. I say, thank you. <coughs> ah, bring in Mademoiselle Maison. Yes, Monsieur le Juge. This way, Mademoiselle. Uh, uh, yes, sir. <coughs> now, will you be so good, Mademoiselle, as to look at this gentleman? To the best of your remembrance, was it he who entered your mistress' compartment on the blue train in Paris? Well, I couldn't say, sir. No, I'm not sure, seeing as I only saw his back. It's hard to say. I rather think it may have been the gentleman. But you can't say for certain? No, sir. I'm afraid I can't. Well, mademoiselle, that will do. Thank you, sir. One one moment. There is a question I would like to put to mademoiselle, if I may. Certainly, monsieur Poirot, if you must. What happened to the train tickets? Oh, well, the mistress had her own Pullman ticket, sir. I gave the others to the conductor. Oh, thank you, mademoiselle. Uh, Well, gentlemen, am I to be detained further? I assuredly not, monsieur le comte. Naturally, in view of madame's letter, we were bound to question you. I quite understand. Good day, monsieur. Good day. Good. It is much better to make him feel that he is not suspected. But uh, you will keep an eye on him. Two of my men will shadow him night and day. I uh, asked Monsieur Kettering to come here this morning. There are one or two suspicious circumstances. Such as? Well, this uh, lady with whom he is said to be travelling. Mirelle? Yes. She is staying at one hotel and he at another. That strikes me as rather odd. It looks as though they were being careful. Exactly. And what should they have to be so careful about? Mm, We might, I think, ask Monsieur Kettering a few questions. Very well. Yes, ask Monsieur Kettering if he'll be good enough to spare us a few minutes. Oui, Monsieur. Ah, You may be right. Perhaps an excess of caution is suspicious. Precisely. Monsieur Kettering. Ah, good morning, Monsieur. Good morning, gentlemen. Why have you sent for me? Has anything fresh turned up? You are quite sure that you neither saw nor spoke with your wife on the train? I've answered that already. I did not. (laughs) You had no doubt your reasons? I did not know she was on the train. Mm -hmm. Madame Kettering, I understand, did not leave a will. I don't think she ever made one. Why do you ask? You inherit a very pretty little fortune. Just what do you mean by that? And who the hell are you, anyway? My name is Hercule Poirot, and I am probably the greatest detective in the world. (laughs) Now, 
You are quite sure that you did not see or speak to your wife on the Tremblay. What are you getting at? Are you trying to insinuate that I killed her? <laughs> You'll have to do better than that. If I killed her, I should have had no need to steal her jewels, should I? Ah, oh, that is true. I, I, I did not think of If that. ever there was a clear case of murder and robbery, this is it. Poor Ruth. It was those damned rubies did for her. One more question, Monsieur Kettering. Will you give me the date when you last saw your wife? It must have been, um, well, over three weeks ago. Hmm. Anything further? Uh, no, Monsieur Kettering. We need not trouble you any further. I wish you good morning. Thank you. Oh, and the uh, next time you have nothing to tell me, uh-huh. don't hesitate to send for me. Tell me, Monsieur Courage, when did you speak of the rubies to Monsieur Kettering? I have not spoken of them. It was only yesterday afternoon that we heard of them from Monsieur Van Olden. Then how did he know about them? Madame could not have told him, for he's not seen her for three weeks. And there's not been any hint of reference to them in the newspapers. And yet our gentleman knows all about them. <sighs> I wonder now, yes, I wonder. Oui, monsieur. Uh, green lady. At once, monsieur. Oh, Derek! I thought I might find you here. Uh, Aren't you pleased to see me? Give me some kind of welcome at least. Uh, this is an unexpected pleasure. When did you leave London? Oh, a day or two ago. And your theatrical engagements? Oh, they are no longer of any concern to me. Really? You are not very amiable, Derek. Do you expect me to be? You think perhaps it is not prudent so soon. Uh, you're, you're lunching here. Yes, my darling. I am lunching with you. No, I'm exceedingly sorry. I have a very important engagement. Monsieur? Uh, thank you. And uh, for madame? Uh, the same. Thank you, madame. Oh, you cannot deceive me, my darling. I know what you have done for me. Ah, have no fear. I am discreet. What the hell are you talking about? Oh, you are right. We will not speak of the matter again. But our troubles are ended. Our life together will be wonderful. Wonderful. Two million makes a difference, does it? Yes. Yes, of course it does. I ought to have known that. You'll help me to spend that two million, won't you, Mirel? You know how. No woman better. Be quiet. What is the matter with you, Derek? See, people are staring at us. I will tell you what is the matter. I have finished with you, Mirel. Oh, you are such a child, Derek. You are angry because I am being realistic. But I know you, Derek. You cannot live without me. I know it. Oh, I loved you before. I will love you a hundred times more now. I will make life wonderful for you. There is no one like Mirel. <laughs> and now, Derek, will you give me lunch? No. Mirel. No, I'm sorry, but I, I told you, I, I have an engagement. You are lunching with someone else? Yes, uh, with that lady over there. With that little English miss? I don't believe it. Goodbye, Mirel. Uh, Miss Gray, will you... Um, will you have lunch with me? I had to leave you so rapidly at Lady Tamplin's. Thank you. I should like to very much. Monsieur le Comte. Yes, Hippolyte, what is it? There is a lady to see you. A lady? She is, I think, a lady not known to Monsieur. 
And where is this lady? In the salon, Monsieur le Comte. I will see her. Yes, Monsieur le Comte. Uh, just a moment, Hippolyte. Yes, Monsieur? There is something I must say to you. As you know, I arrived here last Tuesday morning. If the police or any other inquirer should question you, do not forget that fact. I arrived on Tuesday the 14th, not Wednesday the 15th, you understand? Perfectly, Monsieur le Comte. That is well, then. I'll go and see this mysterious visitor. Monsieur le Comte de la Roche. At your service, mademoiselle. My name is Mirelle. You may have heard of me. Who has not? The whole world is enchanted by your dancing. Oh, you must forgive this uh, unceremonious intrusion. But please be seated, mademoiselle, I beg you. We have mutual friends in Paris. I have heard of you from them. But I come to see you today for another reason. I have heard of you since I came to Nice. In a different way, you understand. Ah. I will be brutal. Nevertheless, believe that I have your welfare at heart. It is the police. They believe you killed Madame Kettering. What? But they are wrong. Certainly they are wrong. Oh, you say that, but you do not know the truth. I do. You know who killed Madame Kettering? It was her husband. He killed her. But how do you know of this, mademoiselle? He boasted of it to me beforehand. He was ruined, bankrupt, dishonored. Only the death of his wife could save him. He told me so. He traveled on the same train. She was not to know. But surely, mademoiselle, in that case, he would not steal the jewels. The rubies? Who could resist them? What do you want me to do, mademoiselle? Surely it is simple. You will go to the police. You will say to them that... Monsieur Kettering committed the crime. And if they do not believe me, if they ask for proof? Send them to me, Monsieur le Comte. I will give them the proof they want. Well, Catherine, how did your lunch with Derek go? It went very well. Do you like him? I don't know. He is very attractive. Yes, he is. He likes you, Catherine. <laughs> He gave me a good lunch. Miss Gray is wanted on the telephone. Oh. Monsieur Poirot wishes to speak with her. It doesn't look as if you can ever hope to get away from the blue train for long. Go on, Catherine. Go and dally with your detective. Good afternoon, Monsieur Poirot. Ah, mademoiselle. Uh, Monsieur Van Alden, the father of Madame Kittering, wishes very much to speak with you. Either at the Villa Marguerite or at his hotel, whichever you prefer. Uh, I don't think he really ought to come out here. Ah. I think it would be better if I came to Nice. Uh, excellent, mademoiselle. I will call for you myself in an auto. Uh, shall we say in about uh, three quarters of an hour? So our little detective story unfolds. <laughs> well, would you, would you like... To hear the developments of the case. Oh, of course. Mm. Well, at the moment, the police are keeping a close watch on the Comte de la Roche. The man Mrs. Kettering told me about on the train. Uh, the, the shame, yeah. And you think he is the murderer? 
Well, that is the theory. But do you believe that? Ah, uh, I did not say so. But tell me, have you met Derek Kettering? I met him at Lady Tamplin's. I lunched with him yesterday. Ah, doubtless you observed him on the blue train. Yes, I noticed him. In the restaurant car. No, I didn't notice him at meals at all. I only saw him once, going into his wife's compartment. Ah, uh, yes, it is a strange business. Uh, you said that you were awake, mademoiselle, when the train reached Lyon, and that you looked out of the window. You saw no tall, dark man such as the Comte de la Roche leave the train. I don't think I saw anyone at all. Oh, yes, there was a youngish lad in a cap and overcoat who got out. But I don't think he was leaving the train. Uh, but it is like this, you see. The Comte de la Roche has an alibi. Well, an alibi, it is a very pestilential thing and always open to the gravest suspicion. But we are at the hotel and I'm afraid you will have to repeat your story all over again for the benefit of... Miss Gray, I'd like to tell you that I'm very grateful to you. I think you did something to ease my poor Ruth's mind in the last hours of her life. Now, I want to ask you something. You have heard about the scoundrel that my poor girl had got herself mixed up with. The Comte de la Roche? Uh, Monsieur yes. Poirot has told me about him. Yes. In your judgment, do you think that she might have changed her mind after her conversation with you? I can't honestly tell you. She had certainly come to some decision and seemed more cheerful in consequence of it. Oh. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Miss Gray. Uh, Knighton, Poirot, uh, will you come in, please? Oh, certainly. Of course. Uh, Miss Gray, uh, I don't think you know my secretary, Major Knighton. How do you do? Miss Gray? Well, Poirot, uh, Miss Gray has told me all she knows, but the vital point remains a mystery. Uh, no, what is it, this vital point? Well, if only we knew what decision Ruth came to. She might have meant to leave the train and cable me. Mm -hmm. She may have meant to go on to here and have an assignation with the Comte there. We're completely in the dark. All we have is the maid's word that Ruth was startled and dismayed by his appearance at the train in Paris. Uh, if it was him. Yes, yes, indeed. Mm. Uh, Miss Gray, will you stay to lunch? Oh, forgive me, Mr. Van Alden, but Lady Tamplin's giving one of her lunch parties. I promised I'd be there. Then I'll get Knighton to drive you back. Uh, that won't put you out, will it, Knighton? I'd be delighted. You're becoming a serious breaker of hearts, Catherine. What? Mr. Knighton has been ringing you up again. Major Knighton? Whatever did he want? Ever since he ran you back the other day, he's never been off the phone. You must have made quite an impression. The funny thing is that I remember him quite well. He was in the hospital that Mother ran out here during the war. I was only a kid of about eight at the time. Was he badly wounded? Shot in the leg, if I remember rightly. Rather a nasty business. I think the doctors must have messed it up a bit. 
The surgeon said he wouldn't limp or anything, but when he dropped you off here the other day, he was distinctly dot and go one. Are you telling Catherine all about Major Knighton, Lennox? Such a charming boy. <sighs> Just at first, I didn't remember him. We had so many, but now it all comes back. He was a bit too unimportant to be remembered before. Now that he's secretary to an American millionaire, Mother suddenly recovered her memory. Darling, what was Major Knighton ringing up about anyway? He asked if you would go to the tennis this afternoon. Naturally, we accepted for you. He was very particular to say it was Mr. Van Alden's invitation. He said it so often that I began to smell a rat. <laughs> He's picking you up in the car at half past three. I'm very glad that you could come. I think it might be quite an exciting afternoon. Monsieur Poirot is going to be there also. Oh, I wouldn't have thought of him as a tennis fan. He is a very remarkable person who has done some very remarkable things. I remember I was staying in a house in Yorkshire, and Lady Clanraven's jewels were stolen. It seemed at first to be a simple robbery, but it completely baffled the local police. I wanted Lady Clanraven to call in Hercule Poirot, but they pinned their faith on Scotland Yard. And what happened? The jewels were never recovered. You really do believe in him? Hmm. I do indeed. The Comte de La Roche is a pretty wily customer. He's regular of most things, but I think he has met his match in Hercule Poirot. So you think the Comte did it? Of course. Don't you? But he has an alibi. Oh. <laughs> Miss Gray, you told me that you read detective stories. You must know that anyone who has a perfect alibi is always open to grave suspicion. Do you think real life is like that? Why? Fiction is founded on fact. But it is rather superior to it. Perhaps. Anyway, if I was a criminal, I should not like to have Hercule Poirot on my back. Oh, no more should I. <laughs> <laughs> Bonjour, Mademoiselle. Bonjour, Midnighter. Ah, Monsieur Poirot, you look wonderful. Oh, <laughs> bonjour, Monsieur Poirot. Uh, where is Mr. Van Alden? Well, he will meet us at our seats. Uh, to tell you the truth, my friend, he is not too well pleased with me. He thinks I should fly myself in pursuit of criminals through all the byways of Nice. <laughs> I should have thought myself that it wouldn't have been a bad plan. Ah, there you were wrong. I shall achieve quite as much by sitting here. At the tennis, one meets everyone. For example, here comes Monsieur Kettering. Good afternoon. Uh, oh. uh, Miss Gray? Good Good afternoon, Mr. Kettering. Monsieur Poirot was just saying that you meet everyone at the tennis. <laughs> What's he now? <laughs> uh oh, there's Mr. Van Alden. I'd better see what he wants. <laughs> I, I approve of that young man. And you, Mademoiselle? I like him very much. And you, Mr. Kettering? Yes, he's a very good fellow. Oh. He's a great admirer of yours, Monsieur Poirot. Huh? He was saying that if he were a criminal, he would hate to have you on his track. <laughs> uh, that uh, reminds me, mademoiselle, when you were talking to that poor lady on the train, I think you must have dropped a cigarette case. I don't think so. Uh, not this one? You see, it has a little K on it in gold. No, it's not mine. Oh, a thousand apologies. We thought at first that it must have belonged to Madame Kittering, but she had another cigarette case in her bag. Uh, you do not know, I suppose, whether this was your wife's case or not, Monsieur Kittering. I don't know. I suppose so. Uh, is it not yours, by any chance? Certainly not. Well, I thought you might perhaps have dropped it when you were in your wife's compartment. 
I never was there. I've told you that a thousand times. Oh, a, a thousand pardons. It was Mademoiselle here who mentioned having seen you going in. Oh, well, you made a mistake, Miss Gray. From what the police have told me, I gather that my own compartment was only a door or two away from my wife's, though I never suspected the fact at the time. You must have seen me going into my own compartment. Ah, here comes Monsieur Van Alden. Oh, I can't think of anything I'd like less at the moment than an encounter with my father-in-law. Uh, <laughs> forgive me if I leave you. Good afternoon, Miss Gray. I'm glad you were able to accept my invitation. Thank you for inviting me, Mr. Van Alden. Oh, do sit down. Uh, Knighton, there is a seat right next to Miss Gray there. Oh, thanks. You seem fond of watching tennis, Monsieur Poirot. It is a pleasure to me, yes. Where I come from, business comes before pleasure. <laughs> Everyone has his own methods. I have always found it a pleasing idea to combine business and pleasure. Observe that tall old man opposite us, the one with the yellow face and the venerable beard. No, what about him? Well, that is Monsieur Papopoulos. He's a dealer in antiques of a worldwide reputation and widely suspected by the police of being a, a receiver of stolen goods, especially jewels. Oh, well, now, I ask myself, why is Monsieur Papopoulos suddenly come to Nice? <laughs> well, I guess I must apologize to you, Poirot. Oh, uh, now, I have news for you. As you know, the Comte de la Roche has been under police surveillance ever since his interview with the Juge d'Instruction. Well, the day after that, during his absence, his villa was searched by the police. They didn't find anything, Albert. Well, your acumen is not at fault, Monsieur Van Alden. They found nothing of an incriminating nature, but they were also keeping an eye on his car. He was followed on that day to Monte Carlo, from there he went by road to Monta. But his car is a very powerful one. It outdistances pursuers, and for a quarter of an hour, they completely lost sight of him. And during that time, you think he concealed something by the roadside? By the roadside, no. But I made a little suggestion to Monsieur Carrage. In each bureau, the post in the neighborhood, it has been seen to her there is someone who knows the Comte de la Roche by sight. Because, you see, the best way of hiding a thing is by sending it away by post. Well? Well, voila. A small package mailed by the Comte in that vital quarter of an hour. To what address? Oh, unfortunately, it told us nothing. It was addressed to one of those little newspaper shops in Paris where letters and parcels are kept until called for. But what's in the package, Poirot? Ah, a cardboard box... Now, now is a good moment. All eyes are on the tennis. Look, monsieur. My God. The rubies. More coffee, father? Thank you, sir. Excuse me, monsieur. There is a gentleman to see you, Monsieur Papopoulos. At this hour? He said it was very important. Uh, here is his card. Oh, read it for me, will you, my dear? Monsieur Hercule Poirot. Poirot? Oh, yes, I'll see him. Yes, Monsieur Papopoulos. I saw him yesterday at the tennis. I don't like this. Uh, my dear Monsieur Papopoulos. Oh, my dear Monsieur Poirot. <laughs> mm. Sit down and have a cup of coffee, oh, Monsieur Poirot. Thank you. 
Uh, you will excuse me going on with my breakfast. Your call is a little early. Oh, it is scandalous, but you see, I'm pressed. You are working on a case, then? Mm, a very serious one, the death of Madame Kettering. Oh, that was the lady who died on the blue train, was it not? I saw a mention of it in the newspapers. And in what way can I assist you, Monsieur Paolo? By giving me your opinion on the contents of this box. Uh, uh, Superb, are they? Now take the rubies, have a close look at them. How much would you say they were worth? Is it really necessary to tell you? <laughs> you are shrewd, Monsieur Popolis. <laughs> no, it is not. As an imitation, they are quite excellent. Mm. Would it be indiscreet to ask where you came across them? Oh, not at all. I have no objection to telling an old friend like yourself. They were in the possession of the Comte de la Roche. Were they indeed? Mm. Monsieur Popopoulos, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. Huh? The originals of these jewels were stolen from Madame Kettering on the blue train. Now, I will say to you first this. I am not concerned with the recovery of these jewels. I am working not for the police, but for the father of Madame Kettering. I want to lay hands upon her killer. I am interested in the jewels only in so far as they may lead me to the man, you understand? I think so. Go on. Well, it, it seems to me probable, monsieur, that the jewels will change hands in Nice, may already have done so. I see. I say to myself this, if these jewels have changed hands in Nice, Monsieur Papopoulos would have heard of it. He has knowledge of all that passes in the jewel world. Would you like a croissant, Monsieur? Uh, uh, thank, thank you. Now, the police, you understand, don't enter into the matter. It is a personal affair. I have heard rumors. Oh, such as? Is there any reason why I should pass them on to you? Yes, huh? yes, I, I, I think there is. You may remember, Monsieur Papopoulos, that 17 years ago there was a certain article in your hands left oh. by a very prominent person which unaccountably disappeared. And you said that if I restore to you that article, I shall earn your undying gratitude. <laughs> yeah, I did restore it to you. It was the most unpleasant moment of my career. Mm, you will aid me then. As regards the jewels, monsieur, I can do nothing. I know nothing. I have heard nothing. But uh, I can perhaps do you a good turn. That is, if you are interested in racing. Oh, under certain circumstances, I might be. There is a horse running at Longchamp that would, I think, repay attention. Huh? Take a look at the newspaper. Here, you see? Ah, uh, the Marquis? I think, but I am not sure, that it is an English horse. Asia? I think so, too. You really are the goods, Monsieur Poirot. Once and for all, you really are the goods. Oh, it is nothing. Order, method being prepared for eventualities beforehand, that is all there is to it. And have they arrested the Comte de la Roche? Uh, no. Why not? The Count's alibi is still unshaken. But that's nonsense. Well, yes, I rather think it is nonsense, but unfortunately we have to prove it so. However, at present there is something else which concerns me. Is the maid, Mademoiselle Mason, still here? Yes, 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 she's here. Uh, you, you want to see her? Yeah, if you please, I would be most grateful. 
Will you send in Miss Mason, please? Uh, just a few little questions I have to ask her. You wish to see me, sir? Ah, mademoiselle. <laughs> Be seated, will you? Oh, thank you, sir. Now, always I return to the question of the man on the train. You have been shown the Comte de la Roche, but you are not sure that he is the man. <laughs> I never saw the gentleman's face. That is what makes it so difficult. Mm, yes, precisely. Now, listen, mademoiselle, how do you know it was not your master, Monsieur Kettering, eh? The, the master, sir? <laughs> I don't think it could have been. But you are not sure. Really, I never thought of it, sir. But you've heard that your master was on the train. What more natural than it should be him? Well, yes, it, it might have been the master. I wouldn't like to say either way, I'm sure. <laughs> thank you very much, mademoiselle. I shall not require you any further. Oh, thank you, sir. Um, uh, oh, there, there is just one thing more. Is hmm? this your mistress' cigarette case? No, sir, it is... At least... Yes? Well, I think, sir, I can't be sure, but I think it is a case the mistress once bought for the master... Ah. But whether she gave it to him or not, I can't say, of course. Uh, precisely. Well, that, that, that is all, I think. I, I wish you good day. Oh, good day, sir. Mm. Thank you. But why should you still suspect Kettering? Everything points the other way. Why the Comte actually had the jewels in his possession? Uh, no. But you showed them to me. No. You mean to say you didn't show them to me? No. Yesterday at the tennis? Uh, no. Are you crazy, Monsieur Poirot, or am I? <laughs> Look, neither of us is crazy. You ask me a question, I answer it. You say, have I not shown you the jewels yesterday? I replied, no. What I showed you, Monsieur Van Alden, was a first-class imitation. What? Yeah, hardly to be distinguished except by an expert from I, the real ones. Uh, are, are you serious? Yeah. Yes, it alters the position, does it not? Imitation. All along, monsieur, you have had this idea. You never believed that the Comte de la Roche was the murderer? No, I have had doubts. Robbery with violence and murder. No, it doesn't harmonize with the personality of the Comte. But you believe he meant to steal the rubies? Oh, certainly there is no doubt about that. The Comte knew the rubies and made his plans accordingly. He made up a romantic story of a book he was writing so as to induce your daughter to bring them with her. He provided himself with an exact duplicate. It is clear, is it not, that substitution is what he was after? Yes, but what actually happened? Well, it's quite simple. Someone stepped in ahead of the court. How long have you suspected my son-in-law, Monsieur Poirot? Ah, from the very first... He had the motive and the opportunity. You believe he murdered her? No, no, I do not say that, but it is a possibility, a very strong possibility. Look, just find Ruth's murderer for me, Poirot. That's all I ask. Leave it in the hands of Hercule Poirot. Have no fears. I will discover the truth. Hmm. All of which is all very well, but there is just one little obstacle. How am I to do it? Monsieur Poirot. Ah. 
You have the weary air of a man who has just emerged from a conference with my father-in-law. <laughs> and you have the air of a man who has just parted from an attractive young lady. Hmm. Was that Miss Gray I saw? Mm, yeah, she is rather a dear, isn't she? Ah. You will... Uh, pardon an old man, monsieur, but if he says to you something you may consider impertinent. There's one of your English proverbs that I would quote to you. It says that it is well to be off with the old love before being on with the new. What the devil do you mean by that? <laughs> that is what I mean. The lady in that car there. Mirelle. No, Monsieur Poirot, you're wrong. I've broken with her utterly, and she knows uh, it. You have broken with her, yes, but has she broken with you? Mm, Mirelle won't break with two million pounds, if she can help it. Oh, you are cynical, Monsieur Catherine. Am I? Well, I've lived in the world long enough, Monsieur Poirot, to know that all women are pretty much alike. All save one, that is. Ah. I know what you're going to say. The kind of life I've led, the fact that I'm not worthy of her, will say that I have no earthly chance of marrying Catherine. No, I, I would not say that. Your reputation is bad, yes, but with women that will not deter. If you were a man of excellent character, of strict morality, who had done the things that he should not do, then I should have had grave doubts of your success. Moral worth, you understand, is not romantic. It is, however, appreciated by widows. But it is time that I return to my hotel. I, I will leave you with another English saying, Monsieur Kettering. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Think about it. The personality of a criminal, Georges, is an interesting matter. Sir? Well, many murderers are men of great personal charm. I have always heard, sir, that Dr. Crippin was a pleasant-spoken gentleman, mm. and yet he cut up his wife like so much mincemeat. <laughs> Your instances are always apt, George. Uh. Hello, it is Poirot who speaks. Uh, this is Knighton, Monsieur Poirot. Mm. Yes. I just wanted to tell you that Mason came to me just now of her own accord. She's been thinking it over, and she says that she's almost certain that the man in Paris was Derek Kettering. There was something familiar about him at the time, she says, but she couldn't place it. She seems pretty certain now. Ah, thank you, Monsieur Van Alden. That advances us. Thank you very much. Goodbye, Monsieur. <coughs> <coughs> Are you um, lunching here, Monsieur Poirot, or are you going out? Mm. Mm. Neither. I shall go to bed and take a tisane. Ah. The expected has happened, and when the expected happens, it always causes me emotion. Monsieur Catherine! A gentleman is waiting to see you, monsieur. Uh, who is he? He did not give his name, but he said his business with you was important, and that he would wait. Where is he? In the little salon, monsieur. He preferred it to the lounge, he said, as being more private. The Comte de la Roche, is it not? Ah, Monsieur Kettering, allow me to offer you my condolences on your recent bereavement. Your condolences are misplaced. Get on with what you've come here to say. Then I will come immediately to the point, if that is what you wish. Yes, that is what I wish, or I shall boot you down the promenade des Anglais. 
If you desire it, monsieur, I will send my friends to you. All that I desire is that you should say what you've come here to say and then get out. Very well. You have come into a lot of money. What the devil has that got to do with you? I am suspected of murdering your wife. So not only am I unjustly suspected of a crime that I did not commit, but I am also in serious need of money. And my conscience might impel me to go to the police with certain information. What do you mean by that? Certain information has come into my hands that could result in your being arrested and tried for murder. It would not be exactly agreeable to you. Then, uh, I shall call your bluff, De La Roche. It is no bluff. My information was obtained from a certain lady. It is she who holds the irrefutable proof that you committed the murder. Mirel, I have just had the most extraordinary meeting with that scoundrel who calls himself the Comte de la Roche. Was it your doing? I haven't the least idea what you are talking about. He says that you have irrefutable proof that I committed the murder. <laughs> oh, it is too absurd. I will tell you exactly what happened. The other day, the day when you refused to have lunch with me, I was mad with rage. I wanted to be revenged on you. And so I went to the Comte de la Roche and told him to go to the police and say so and so. But have no fear, Derek. I did not completely lose my head. The proof rests with me alone. The police can do nothing without my word. But now you have come back to me, and we can forget all about it. You have come back to me, have you not? I shall never come back to you. So I was right. There is another woman, the one with whom you lunched the other day. You might as well know the truth, Mirelle. I intend to ask her to marry me. <laughs> is that prim little English mouse? Do you think I will put up with that? Police want evidence, and I have it. What do you mean? I saw you coming out of the compartment of Madame, your wife, just before the train got into Lyon that night. And I know more than that. I know that when you came out of her compartment, she was dead. And so, Mademoiselle Grey, we are the good friends who have no secrets from each other. <laughs> of course we are friends. <laughs> Tell me what you think of Major Knighton. I like him very much. He's quite delightful. Uh, what is the matter? Oh, you reply so heartily. If you had said, oh, quite nice, I would have been better pleased. And yet, who knows, perhaps your heartiness is a way of concealing what you really feel. I don't uh, see... Let me ask you another question. Do you like Derek Kettering? Oh, I hardly know him. No, that is not an answer. I think it is. Mm, well, perhaps you are right, mademoiselle. I have seen much of the world, and I know that there are two things which are true. A good man may be ruined by his love for a bad woman, but the other way holds good also. A bad man may equally be ruined by his love for a good woman. You are trying to warn me. 
Against whom? I cannot look into your heart, mademoiselle. I do not think you would let me if I could. <laughs> I would just say this. This man of whom I speak, the emotion he feels is genuine enough, but all the same... Yes? You could perhaps love a thief, mademoiselle, but not a murderer. <laughs> now, here comes Monsieur Kettering. Think over what I have said. May I sit down? Of course. <clears throat> I want to talk to you, and who knows when I may have another opportunity. There's an idea going about that I murdered my wife. But... No, please don't interrupt. I don't deny that I married her for her money. I don't deny that I treated her abominably, but I swear to you solemnly that I did not kill my wife. I know I lied the other day. It was my wife's compartment I went into. I knew I wasn't mistaken. You see, I was more or less spying on her. Mirelle had told me that she was meeting de la Roche in Paris and taking the rubies with her. Well, as far as I had seen, this, this was not so. I felt ashamed, and I thought suddenly that it would be a good thing to have it out with her once and for all, so I pushed open the door and went in. Yes. Ruth was lying on the bunk, asleep. Her face was turned away from me. She looked so peaceful lying there. What was the point of waking her to say what I'd said a hundred times before? So I left the compartment as quickly as I could. But why lie about it to the police? Because I'm not a complete fool. I know that they suspect me. If I once admitted that I'd been in her compartment just before she'd been murdered, well, that would be the finish. Ah, I see. You know, from the moment I saw you, I knew you were the only woman for me. I was afraid of you. <laughs> I thought you might bring me bad luck, oh, Catherine. <laughs> you know that I care for you. Do you... Do you care for me? I don't know. Derek. Yes? Hello there. Oh, damn. Here comes that idiot, Knighton. Well, I won't keep you. Oh. I'm sure you have a lot to talk about. Oh, Miss Gray. How nice to, to see you. Uh, do you mind if I sit beside you? Please do, Major Knighton. Thank you. I've... I've been longing for a chance to talk to you alone. Mr. Van Alden may leave any day now, and I may not have a chance again. Look, I... I know you can't care for me so soon. That, that's impossible. I dare say it's presumption on my part. But I... I have private means. Not very much, but... <laughs> But, Major Knighton, I can't... No, no, please. Don't answer now. I know what your answer would be. But in case I had to go away suddenly, I, I just wanted you to know... that I care. <laughs> no, forgive me. Go goodbye, Catherine. Something you must know. You must listen. Ruth Kettering. 
What is it? What is it you have to say to me? Catherine! Uh, is there something the matter? Uh, oh. Catherine, are you all right? Uh, oh, yes, I'm quite all right. Oh, I suddenly felt a little dizzy. But there's nothing wrong. Monsieur Poirot? Hmm? Ah, Major Knighton. I wonder if you could spare me a few minutes of your time. I am at your disposal. The matter is rather delicate. Mm -hmm. I have no desire to be disloyal to my employer. You may have perfect confidence in my discretion, Major Knighton. Very well, I will tell you. You have doubtless heard of Mirel, the dancer. Ah, uh, the cher ami delicatery. Just huh? so. You can imagine that Mr. Van Alden is not exactly well disposed toward her. This morning she came to the hotel and sent up a card saying that it was vital she should see Mr. Van Alden at once. You interest me. Mr. Van Alden told me in no uncertain terms to send her away. But that was most foolish of So I took it upon myself to have a word with the lady privately. Eh bien? I told her that Mr. Van Alden was too busy to see her, but that she might make any communication she wished to me. Mm. That, however, she could not bring herself to do. But I am convinced that she knows something. Oh, this is serious. You know where she's staying? At the Westminster. Good. We will go there immediately. speak. I have kept silent too long. I have held my hand on so what? To be insulted by that, that monster. He thinks he can throw me off like an old glove, but he is mistaken. I will smash him like that. <laughs> Bravo, magnifique, what temperament. I am an artist. You are indeed. I told Derek to beware, but he would not listen. Is it true that he intends to marry that, that English girl? He certainly seems to be seeing a lot of her. He murdered his wife. That is what I have to tell you. He told me beforehand that he meant to do it. The police will need proof of that, mademoiselle. I saw him come out of her compartment that night on the train. When? Just before the train reached Lyon. Oh, this is a serious matter. We must waste no time. Are you prepared to swear that before the juge d'instruction? Yes, monsieur. I am. This is an extraordinary story, mademoiselle. You wish us to believe that Monsieur Kettering actually boasted of the crime to you beforehand? He was desperate for money. He said our death would have to appear to be an accident. You are aware that you are making yourself an accessory before the fact. Oh, but I did not take him seriously. Not for a moment. I know men, monsieur. They say many wild things. Uh, yes. Uh, when did it first occur to you that Monsieur Kettering had murdered his wife? When I saw him coming out of her compartment. There was a look on his face, haunted and horrible. I shall never forget it. Afterwards, when I found that Madame Kettering was dead when the train left Lyon, then I knew for certain. But you did not go to the police? You would not expect me to betray my lover. And now? Now he has betrayed me. Uh, quite so. If you would be so good as to cast your eye over this statement, mademoiselle... I will sign it. You require me no longer, monsieur? At present, no. And Derek will be arrested? At once. Ah, good. There is one little matter, mademoiselle. Yes? What makes you think that Madame Kettering was dead when the train left Lyon? But of course she was dead. Was she? I have been told so. 
Everybody says so. I was not aware it had been mentioned outside this office. Somebody told me. I don't remember who. And the jewels. Can you tell me anything about those? The jewels? What the jewels? The rubies of Catherine the Great. The heart of fire. I know nothing of any jewels. I want only that Derek Kettering should be brought to justice for killing his wife. Tell me, what do you know about a man called the Marquis? The Marquis? Mm. He works behind the scenes and lets others do the dirty work for him. He does not come from the criminal classes. A Frenchman? Uh, we believe so, mm. but we are not sure. He has worked in France, England and America. By all accounts, he is a grand seigneur, speaking French and English with equal perfection. What do you know of him? Oh, at the moment, very little, but I have sent a cable to Scotland Yard, and there may be news waiting for me at my hotel. But, but if the Marquis is involved, surely it upsets all our ideas? It does not upset mine. On the contrary, I think it agrees with them very well. Now, I think I must go and have a word with this Grey. If I have news of any importance, I will let you know at once. Catherine's still dressing, I'm afraid, Monsieur Poirot. Ah. Can I give her a message, or would you rather wait till she comes down? No, I do not think it is necessary that I should wait to see Mademoiselle Catherine. I think perhaps it is better that I should not. What's happened? Perhaps you could tell her that Derek Kettering was arrested tonight for the murder of his wife. You want me to tell Catherine that? If you please, Mademoiselle. Do you believe he did it? The police say so. And you? He was seen by two people going into and leaving his wife's compartment just before the train got into Lille. But does anyone know exactly when she died? We know this much, that a few moments after the train left Lyon, Madame Kettering was dead. How do you know that? Someone else went into her compartment and found her dead. You think someone on the train must have killed her? That need not be so at all. What is to stop anyone swinging themselves onto the train when it stopped at Lyon? Hmm? They could go straight to the compartment, strangle her, take the rubies and drop off the train without anyone being the wiser. She may actually have been killed while the train was in Lyon station. Then she would have been alive when Derek went in and dead when the other person found her. Oh, what you have said is very just, very true. I was struggling in the darkness, and you have thrown me a light. It may be that this very night I shall learn something more, at least. I am going to try. You're meeting someone. Well, yeah, I, I am like a squirrel, mademoiselle. I have stored away the little fact here, the little fact there. I go now to my store, and I take out one particular nut that I stole away, let me see, 17 years ago. <laughs> Au revoir, mademoiselle. Have I helped? Oh, yes, mademoiselle, you have helped. If things get very dark, always remember that. Rien ne va plus. Non. 
Tongue to twat. So keep smiling on you tonight. Oh, it would be well if I stopped now. Ah, you are the daughter of your father, Mademoiselle Zia. To know when to stop, that is the art. <laughs> Thank you for a wonderful evening, Monsieur Poirot. Oh. But it is time you went home. Where is my father? Well, just at the moment he seems to be engaged in a very interesting conversation which I would not wish to disturb, but which I wish I could overhear. Do you know the lady who was with him? Who is she? She's very striking. You do not know? And that is Mirelle, the famous dancer. But uh, while your father is so preoccupied, I must talk to you. I will fetch your cloak for you, and we will go out into the gardens. This is where the suicides take place. So it is said. Men are foolish, are they not, mademoiselle? L'amour causes many fatalities, is it not? <laughs> oh, you should not laugh at love, mademoiselle, you who are young and beautiful. Oh, hardly that. You forget I am 33, Monsieur Poirot. As you told my father, it is 17 years since you aided us in Paris that time. Well, it was a curious affair, that, altogether. Your father never knew the details, I think, and I never told him. I don't understand what you are talking about. Oh, do you not, mademoiselle? Have you forgotten Antonio Barezio? <laughs> An assistant can lift his eyes to his master's daughter, can he not, if he is young and handsome with a glib tongue... And since they cannot make love all the time, they may occasionally talk of things that interest them both, such as that very interesting item of jewellery that was temporarily in your father's possession. Perhaps he was even shown where it was kept. And afterwards, when it was gone, then there comes along that excellent fellow, Hercule Poirot. The priceless heirlooms are restored, and there are no awkward questions. You have known all this time. Who told you? Well, no one told me, I guessed. It was a good guess, was it not, mademoiselle? You want something from me, is that it? I want your help, mademoiselle. What is it you want to know? I want to know more about the Marquis. Very well. I will tell you what I know. Mm. You were quite right when you guessed that we were in Nice because of the rubies. Yeah. They have been handed over here according to plan. And have you seen the Marquis, mademoiselle? Once, but not very well. It was through a keyhole. <laughs> that, that always presents difficulties. But all the same, you saw him. Now, would you know him again? He wore a mask. Ah, young or old? He had white hair, but I do not think he was old. Mm. It may have been a wig. His walk was young, and so was his voice. Oh, this is most interesting. But it is not that that I meant to tell you. It was one other little fact that I thought might be, well, of interest to you. Yes? The rubies, as I say, were handed over to my father here at Nice. I did not see the person who handed them over, but... Yes? I know one thing. It was a woman. Catherine, I... What on earth's the matter? You look so pale. I've had a letter from a friend of mine in St. Mary Mead, an old lady called Miss Viner. I used to go round and talk to her nearly every day. She's just been told she has cancer. She may have a year, 
Perhaps a little longer. And you're going to go back? I don't know. But you have news for me. <laughs> Everyone seems to be leaving. Monsieur Poirot phoned to say that Mr. Van Alden and Major Knighton are going back. Ah. Are you really going to desert us too? I have had my little adventure. Now I just want to go back to a life that is ordinary and uneventful where I can just be of use to people and listen to their troubles. There's nothing more for me here. Cher Mademoiselle Catherine, I trust that you are in good health and that the return to the English winter has not proved too depressing. I am prosecuting my inquiries with the utmost diligence. Do not think that I am taking a holiday here at the Ritz. <laughs> Very shortly I shall be in England. Perhaps you can come up to London and we can have lunch together at the Savoy, which is where your adventure started. You remember that we are colleagues in this affair. <laughs> be assured, mademoiselle, of my most respectful and devoted sentiments. Hercule You have changed, mademoiselle. Oh, in what way? Mm, well, these nuances are hard to express. Well, I didn't mean you have crow's feet around the eyes. <laughs> I am older. <laughs> yes, yes, you are older. <laughs> you know, when I first saw you, mademoiselle, you were a looker-on at life. And now? And now you no longer look on. You have the wary look of a fighter. Who is playing a difficult game? <laughs> have you seen anything of our Riviera friends since you've been back, Mademoiselle? I have seen something of Major Knighton. Hmm? He's been down to St. Mary Mead a couple of times. Oh, is that so? And Monsieur Van Alden remains in London? Yes, he is here at the Savoy. Ah, I must call in on him. You have news for him? What makes you think that? Hmm? I wondered. What were you doing in Paris? I went there to make a call at the Russian embassy. Oh. <laughs> I see that tells you nothing. I, I have a friend who once described me as a human oyster. <laughs> <laughs> now, as you know, I am not satisfied with the facts against Derek Kettering. Mm -hmm. The facts led straight to him, but there is one thing which has been left out of the account. And what is that? The disfigured face of the victim. I've asked myself a hundred times, was Derek Kettering the kind of man who would deal those smashing blows after having committed the murder? Mm. What end would it serve? But, but uh, to return to your question, I went to the Russian embassy to see a particular personage who I suspect of being the active party in the sale of the jewels to Monsieur Van Alden. I threatened him. With the police? No, no, not with the police, but with the press. A much more deadly weapon. <laughs> and in the end, I get the whole story out of him, and I learn of where the jewels were handed over, and I learn, too, of the man who paced up and down in the street outside, a man with a venerable head of white hair, who walks with the light step of a young man, the man I believe to be the Marquis. And now you have come to London to see Mr. Van Alden. Well, not entirely for the reason. I had other work to do. I went to see a theatrical agent. 
Are you thinking of going on the stage, Monsieur Poirot? The whole world lost a great actor when Hercule Poirot joined the police. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I wanted information about a male impersonator named Kitty Kidd. Ah, huh? oh, but I am being an oyster again. I, I will tell you one thing. There has been a doubt all along in my mind as to whether the robbery and the murder were done by the same person. And now? And now I know. Mm, I am not clever like you, Monsieur Poirot. Mm. Half the things you've been telling me don't seem to point anywhere at all. The idea that came to me came from such an entirely different angle. Ah, but that is always so. A mirror tells the truth, but everyone stands in a different place for looking into the mirror. Then tell me, does this help at all? Hmm? It's a newspaper cutting about a jewel robbery at Lady Tamplin's villa years ago. I found it at Miss Viner's. Oh, yes, it does help. As I told you, Mademoiselle, one stands at a different angle, but it is always the same things which are reflected there. It mustn't be much longer, Monsieur Poirot. Hmm? I can't go on much longer. Courage, mademoiselle. You must not fail now. The end is very near. I didn't expect to see you again so soon, Monsieur Poirot. Mm. I don't mind telling you, I've had just about as much as I can stand. The newspapers have been going at it hammer and tongs ever since my son-in-law's arrest. You must not be alarmed at what I am about to say. Supposing, Monsieur de Van Alden, that after all, Daddy Kettering did not murder his wife. I... Are you mad? No, I am not mad. I am eccentric, perhaps, but not where my profession is concerned. But uh, I thought the case was closed. Uh, there is an off chance, Major Knighton, that it might be the Comte de la Roche, after all. Ah. Mm. At least I have succeeded in upsetting his alibi. How did you manage that? <laughs> his servants were known to me. They had not always behaved exactly in accordance with the law. I managed to bully them into telling me the truth. The Comte did not return to his villa until the day after the murder. Oh. He could perfectly well have been on the train. But the rubies, the rubies he had in his possession were fake. And clearly he would not have committed the murder except for the rubies. But you are overlooking one point. Where the rubies are concerned, someone might have been there before him. Who could... Possibly. Well, the thing is not proved, but the facts are worth investigating. You must come out with me to the south of France to investigate the case on the spot. You are very busy at present, Mr. Van Alden. Oh, I guess this business comes first. All right, Monsieur Poirot, let's waste no time. We'll go tomorrow. Uh, what train? We will go, I think, by the blue train. If you ask me, Knighton, Poirot's lost his grip. This whole trip has been one mad charade. <laughs> all that business of acting out the whole affair at the Garde de Lyon with Poirot playing all the parts. First Catherine, then Ruth, then the maid, then the man in the compartment. <laughs> it was very tedious, but then Poirot likes to show off. Yeah, yeah. And then he drags us off the train to the ticket barrier. What was that in aid of? I can't imagine. He seems to have taken leave of his senses. He must have known we'd left our tickets on the train with the conductor and wouldn't be able to get through. It was just as well the train was late leaving, or we'd never have got back on it. 
Sir, I think we should return on the first possible train. This is a wild goose chase. Yes, and why the hell do we have to sit up all night in my compartment? Well, it, it just beats me. Why won't he let the conductor make up the beds? Yes? Ah, uh, twelve. I think that I had best check that your compartment door is bolted, Major Knight. It's very good of you, Poirot, but I told you I knew I had bolted it. <laughs> yes, 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 yes I, I know, I, I go fussy in my old age. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a damnably uncomfortable journey. I suppose you know what you're playing. I know exactly what I am playing at, Major Knight. <laughs> We are drawing into Lyon, Monsieur Van Alden. And it must have been about this time that my poor Ruth was killed. Uh. If your theory is correct, Poirot, it was here that the man left the train? No. No man left the train, but I rather think a woman may have done so. What? A woman? Yes. Yes, a woman. You may not remember, Monsieur Van Alden, but Miss Gray mentioned that a youth in a cap and overcoat descended to the platform ostensibly to stretch his legs. I think that youth was probably a woman. But who was she? Her name, or the name under which she was known for many years, is Kitty Kidd. But you, Monsieur Van Alden, knew her by another name, that of Ada Mason. <laughs> what are you talking about, Poirot? I think you know very well. Huh. Before I forget it, permit me to offer you a cigarette, Major Knighton, out of your own cigarette case. I beg your pardon. <laughs> it was careless of you to drop it when you boarded the train on the route round Paris. Or you do not wish a cigarette? You're mad. No. I simply no, don't, don't have to listen to this rubbish. The door into the next compartment is open and you are being covered from there. I unbolted the door into the corridor and our friends, the police, have installed themselves there. Mon Dieu! As I expect you know, the French police want you rather urgently, Major Knight, nor should I say, Monsieur Le Marquis. Frankly, I'm a puzzled man, Monsieur Poirot. Mm. Relieved, but puzzled. When did you first begin to suspect the maid? Ah, uh, not for some time, but one peculiar little point drew my attention to her. She told us the cigarette case was one which Madame Kettering had recently given to her husband. Mm. But she had been with her mistress for only two months, and Madame Kettering would certainly have been in no mood to give her husband a present at that time. Mm. I thought that was suspicious. But she could have had nothing to do with the crime, since she had been left behind in Paris. And Madame Kettering had been seen alive since then. But then, <laughs> I say to myself, how do we know that Ada Mason was left behind in Paris? Knighton? Yeah? He yeah. said he saw her in the Ritz on the day after the train left Paris. Exactly. And then it struck me that he, too, had been in your service for two months. <laughs> a curious coincidence. And his name began with a K. Could it have been his cigarette case? If Ada Mason and he were working together, would she not act precisely as she had done and use it to incriminate Derek Kettering? <laughs> mm. But what I don't understand is, who was the man in Ruth's compartment in Paris? Derek Kettering or the Comte de la Roche? Oh, that is the simplicity of the whole thing. There was no man. Whose word do we have for it that ever was a man there? Ada Mason's. 
And we believe her story because of Knighton's evidence that she was left behind in Paris. But Ruth herself told the conductor that she had left her maid behind her. Uh, no, no, your daughter was dead before the train arrived at the Gare de Lyon. It was Ada Mason, dressed in her mistress' very distinctive clothing, who purchased the dinner basket and made that statement to the conductor. Impossible. No, 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 not at all. But... There was a very real danger that when the conductor came to discover the body, he might realize that it was not the woman he had talked to the night before. And that was the reason for the disfigured face of your daughter. But who killed Ruth, then? And and, and when? Ah, well, bear in mind that it was planned by Knighton and Ada Mason working together. Knighton was in Paris that day on your business. He boarded the train somewhere on the route round Paris. Madame Kettering would be surprised, but quite unsuspicious. Perhaps she draws her attention to something out of the window and slips the cord round her neck. Oh, the yes. whole thing is over in a second or two. Knighton drops off the train, taking the jewel case containing the rubies with him. And there, the Garde de Lyon, Ada Mason, does her performance. They didn't leave anything to chance, did they? <laughs> Go on. Well, before getting to Lyon, Ada Mason arranged her mistress' body in the bank and herself changed into man's clothing and prepared to leave the train. When Daddy Kettering entered his wife's compartment, he thought she was sleeping peacefully. Now, as soon as the train reached Lyon, Ada Mason got off and took the first train back to Paris and the Ritz Hotel. Knighton brought the jewels back with him to Nice when he came down with you, and Mason handed them over to the Greek. <laughs> Altogether a neatly planned coup. And Richard Knighton is, in fact, the well-known criminal, Le Marquis. <laughs> One of his chief assets was his plausible, ingratiating manner. He was well-born, well-connected in honourable service in the war, and seemed altogether above suspicion. But there was one thing that puzzled me. Knighton has a decided limp. Now, the Marquis decided it did not limp. That was a stumbling block. But Lennox Templing mentioned one day that, according to the surgeon who treated Knighton in her mother's war hospital, he should not have had a limp. And that suggested camouflage. Mm. And then Miss Gray gave me a cutting, showing that there had been a jewel robbery at Lady Templing's hospital at the time that Knighton had been there. <laughs> she realized that she was on the same tack as myself when I wrote to her from the Ritz in Paris. Well, what did you find at the Ritz? <laughs> that Ada Mason arrived there on the morning after the crime and not the evening of the day before. Good God. Well, I guess you know what this means to me, Monsieur Poirot. Hmm? I'll be sending you around a check in the morning. Oh. But uh, no check in the world will express what I feel about what you've done for me. You are the goods, Monsieur Poirot. Every time, you are the goods. Oh, I am only Hercule Poirot. Yes, as you say, in my own way, I am a big man, even as you are also a big man. <laughs> I'm glad and happy to have been of service to you. Now, I go to repair the damages caused by travel. <laughs> Alas, my excellent valet, Georges, is not with me. <laughs> Bonjour, Monsieur Papopoulos. <laughs> Monsieur Poirot, <laughs> I thought you had left these... 
Our business compelled me to return, my dear Monsieur Papopoulos. Business? Yes, business. And, uh, <clears throat> talking of business, uh, you have not completely ruined the Greek ex-minister, I hope. I? <laughs> I understand you sold him a very wonderful ruby, which, strictly untrue, is being worn by Mademoiselle Mirel, the dancer. Uh, yes, that is so. Mm, a ruby not unlike the fabulous... Heart of fire. It has its points of resemblance, certainly. <laughs> you have a wonderful hand with jewels, Monsieur Papopoulos. I congratulate you. And would it be indiscreet if one asked what your business was? No, not at all, not at all. I have just succeeded in laying the Marquis by the heels. The Marquis? Mm. <laughs> now, why does that sound familiar to me? <laughs> No, I cannot recall it. No, you would not, I'm sure. <laughs> He's just been arrested for the murder of the English lady, Madame Kettering. And what has happened to Derek? He was released yesterday. Where is he now? He left Nice last night. For St. Mary Mead, where Catherine's staying. Yes, for St. Mary Mead. Oh, I was a fool. I thought she really cared for Knighton. I ought to have known better. I thought that if she had fallen for Knighton, then Derek... Courage, mademoiselle. Oh, well, it would not have done. But I did help, Monsieur Poirot. Hmm? At any rate, I did help. Oh, yes, mademoiselle. It was you who gave me the first inkling of the truth when you said the person who committed the crime need not have been on the train at all. Before that, I, I could not see how the thing could have been done. I'm glad. Mm. At any rate, that's something. Oh, that's the damned blue train. Yes. Life is like a train, mademoiselle. It goes on, and it is a good thing that this is so. Why? Because the train gets to its journey's end at last. There is a proverb about that in your language, yes? Journey's end in lover's meeting. And that's not going to be true for me. Oh, trust the train, mademoiselle, for it is le bon Dieu who drives it. Trust the train, mademoiselle, and trust Hercule Poirot. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> 